It's a new day. Yes, it is. I am Vaughn Johnson. You got me mad now. You know, you got a bicycle. Feeling good. Well, the st- skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. We ride the bicycle in the arena. With my man, man, Pots and Pants, Nick Bacone. That's me. I don't know where the kid is that was riding it, but he ain't on it when they brought it to the ring. Tomorrow, I'll let you kick your face off. I'm down with that. But I don't like it when things are going my way. Don't you dare be sour! He don't know nothing else. <laughs> hey, you know that wrestling, like, you know that wrestling bro. <laughs> give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah! What's up, ladies and gentlemen, out there in internet land, and welcome to episode 288 of The Straight Shooters, available wherever podcasts are found. Including our new home, the Blue Wire Hustle, the Blue Wire Network. Yes, your boys are a part of now the Blue Wire Hustle. Joining a whole slew of podcasts out there, including the Chris Van Vliet podcast. So shout out to him. And we're right along with him on Blue Wire. So shout out to the good folks over at Blue Wire for hooking us up and bringing us, bringing us on board. Bringing us into the fold. Making us a part of the family. We feel right at home here on Blue Wire. But... Yes, we're also there and plenty of other places, and we have yet another fantastic show ahead of us tonight on our first week, our first episode as a part of the Blue Wire Hustle. We have another deep dive, a Patreon request. We keep telling her to make these Patreon requests, and we have yet another one. This one is King of the Ring 1997. <laughs> Just so happened we did 1996 last week. Well, we got a Patreon request from a good brother, a good friend, Chris Johnson. We put in another request, and this time it was for King of the Ring 1997. We're going to talk all about the things happening around this event. A lot of interesting things, because, you know, it's 1997, and that was a whole year full of interesting things, interesting happenings uh, going on during that year. But before we get into all of that, I got to do my weekly check-in with my main man, Pops and Pants, Nick Bacone, the Philly voice and Philly influencer, Nick. How you doing tonight, my good brother? It's the dawning of a new era for the straight shooters, and of course, uh, we're starting this dawning of a new era during yet again another Sixers playoff game. So uh, I don't know if you have it on in front of you. I I have it on in front of me. It's about to start soon, and so we might have to uh, live react the way we did a couple weeks ago when we uh, had the Sixers playoff game during our recording. So. <laughs> Uh, it's I, I'm I'm a little nervous, but I mean I think they could do it and pull it out. Uh, those damn hawks, man, they won't go away. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I do not have the game in front of me because I do not want to stress myself out <laughs> during our podcast. I just want to have a peaceful show and you know have a good time for the next couple hours. You know while we're recording the show, uh, you know because six is it's a stressful thing to watch. Yes. I just I just get stressed yeah. out. My anxiety goes through the roof watching the team especially during this series. Uh, but hopefully we pull things out here in game five, take control of the series, put them on the brink of elimination. We're at home, and we don't lose a whole bunch at home. We know we lost game one at home. I know that, <laughs> right? But we don't we, we don't lose a whole bunch at home, so hopefully that uh, trend continues here in game five. But, yeah, uh, we're here for 288. It's special. Beautiful weather out here in Philly. I'm about to get into some more beautiful weather in the next sure, weekend yeah. in Cancun for my homie's wedding. Uh, so I got that coming up. So uh, we're probably going to be doing a classic episode next week, I guess. Um, yeah, our first uh, 
our first episode that will be uploaded to that Blue Wire network will be uh, this one. So this was like the first official episode of uh, our Blue Wire uh, era of the straight shooters. I think uh, I guess it would be our third era because we had the the Wildfire Studio era and then the Home era, and we kind of got our new mics. So maybe that's a different era too because first couple years we were just kind of winging it but then once we got our mics we i mean covid hit at the same time and we started doing these uh deep dives which have really stuck and you know really enjoyed doing it so it's almost like our third or fourth uh incarnation of the straight shooters podcast don't forget the google hangouts era (laughs) yes yes as soon as we started from home yeah then skype that's right yeah yeah (laughs) man there were yeah maybe there were more than uh yeah that was that was a qu- quite a well, this podcast has already seen quite a run so we're hoping that uh, you know being part of the Blue Wire Hustle Network will will help us out as well. Uh, I'm sure it will. We are 288 episodes in uh, for what now six years since we've been doing the show since yeah, 2015. About so two less than two months away from six years. Yeah. Yeah, long, seems like ages ago, but here we are, again, for episode 288, coming up slowly on episode 300. Man. That's intense. 300. Right. That's a lot. That'll be here we are. SummerSlam time as well. Uh, that would be 12 episodes from now. Hmm. I don't think that would be, would that be 12 weeks from now? I mean, we could, uh, you know, Uh, I guess. I think it would be a little after that. Do a... Maybe two a week or something. Who knows? <laughs> That's yeah, a lot. I think these deep dives take think, time. So, <laughs> right. That also, I think it'll happen after SummerSlam because that's twelve episodes from now. Uh, hmm. We're not twelve episodes. No, true, twelve man. weeks away from August. <laughs> yeah. So we're probably looking at. Let me see. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. We'll be into September. Uh, we'll do this the grand s- special with Night of Champions. Oh yeah, <laughs> the Night of Champions or cl- no, it's Clash of Champions. Oh yeah, <laughs> wow, Clash. See, that's still WCW to me. They could use the name they all they want, but to me, it's still Night of Champions because it's WWEized and still like even though they're bringing back like uh, Great American Bash and in your house. By the way, which I think is you know they're gonna keep going with this because now they're adding the years to the to the events <laughs> so that's great like because now it makes me think you know next year will be the same the year after will be the same so i'm i'm excited for that stuff it, it also should mean they're bringing back halloween havoc yeah yeah they mm. better be they better be and gotta love I, we have havoc. a little uh you know if we do these watch parties again uh or watch alongs we a new setup to where like it might be easier to to follow if you're listening, you know, in the car or something like that. So I'm excited. I'm excited to try all these new toys out. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of what other shows they could bring back uh, from, oh, maybe some ECW stuff. I don't know. Mm. Um, Heat Wave. <laughs> or I'm trying to think of some PC ones that would work at the PC potentially uh, for WWE. Um, Yes, like I said, Heat Wave, I don't know, Living Dangerously would work, or I think Barely Legal wouldn't work. Uh, Guilty as Charged wouldn't work. <laughs> November <laughs> to Remember. Wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't work. Maybe November to Remember. Uh, Heat Wave. I think Heat Wave would be it. <laughs> Heat Wave would be, would be good. 
Heat Wave. Yeah, let's do Heat Wave NXT from ECW. We've done some WCW stuff. Let's do Heat Wave as well. Speaking right? of which, how do you feel about Samoa Joe being in NXT again? Uh, I feel good about it. It's, 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 to me, it's really funny, actually, because it's like another instance of one hand not knowing what the other hand is doing, <laughs> and it's usually the opposite direction where it's something, you know, NXT builds up a person and they do certain things with the character and they build up all this equity and then they, that person gets a WWE and they, for whatever reason, just tinker with it and change it. You just look at Keith Lee. They, they change his gear. They change his music. And it's like, hey, we did all this stuff here. Did you, you're not looking at that and see how that worked. Uh, Alistair Black, they tweaked, uh, tinkered with him and tweaked him and Ricochet and countless others that they've changed and morphed for Really, no reason. Isn't like the the, diff- the audience audience from between Raw and SmackDown to NXT is that much different these days? I mean, maybe five years ago it was different because NXT was only on the WWE network, but and it's only an hour a week. But even still, like by the time NXT moved to USA, you know, before they moved off WWE network, a lot of wrestling fans were watching NXT. Uh, the same wrestling fans that were watching Raw and SmackDown, I think, and now it's definitely the case because they're on TV now, and the audiences aren't, you know, I don't see how they're that much different. <laughs> you know, man, like the NXT might have less people watching, but that don't mean they're different fans to all together from Raw and SmackDown. I don't see how wrestling fans are, you know, the, the core they're, we're down to like the very core audience these days with television viewership from. You know, all the shows, AEW, Raw, SmackDown, whatever, all these shows are hovering around like a couple, you know, more than like a million and a half, something like that. And that's Raw and SmackDown, I should say. Um, so I don't know why they felt the need to change it. But in this case with Samoa Joe, it's the opposite. Where <laughs> he was on the main roster, and then he gets fired, he gets released, and Triple H is like, what? <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to bring him back. You let him go? No, 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 no. Everybody else, I was like, okay, okay, okay. Samoa Joe, no, no, we're going to bring him back. Yeah. No, we're going to bring him back. And it's interesting that he's not in a wrestling role. He's pretty much William Regal's, like, I guess, bodyguard or enforcer or sheriff, like, mm-hmm. to make sure things are running well in NXT. There's no chaos, right? Um, which I don't think it's made NXT really a more exciting show, honestly, in all the quote-unquote chaos. But... Right. I do think he can be a big help as far as like, you know, potentially helping you know, train some of the people at the performance center, because he kind of represents a bridge between like two generations. He was a part of the older generation, somewhat like early on in his career. But then he you know worked his way through obviously, and now he but he still can work with the current generation of performers, but he still has some of those old school principles. I think he's a good bridge to. You know, between those two generations, that can help people at the performance center. Also, Samoa Joe can talk his ass off. <laughs> like, yeah. so if he 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 can if he can help see, see people cut some promos. I mean, come on, like he's probably the most believable promo in the business right now. Well, has been for a couple of years. I said it's been a while since he's been working, but when Samoa Joe talks, I believe what he says. Even that promo he cut on uh, Tuesday. With Karrion Cross, I believed it. Like he's like, damn, he's so good, and that's something that's lacking. I think all across wrestling is our believable promos. People can talk, people can orate, and 
but I think Joe has it. He can talk people into the building because he he's believable. And I don't know everybody's like that. I, I don't think Kenny Omega's promo ability is going to change ticket sales for AEW. People going to buy tickets because they want to see him wrestle anyway. I wouldn't necessarily say his promos are his strong suit. Same for like a even like a Roman Reigns who, who he's gotten a lot better at cutting promos. But are people going to buy a ticket because of the way he talks? Eh, maybe not. Whatever. But. Samoa Joe, I think, has that ability, and I think that's lacking all across the board in pro wrestling. And I think Samoa Joe can help some people do that if he if they if he's allowed to. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, I guess it's good for Samoa Joe to still have a job. He could have got a job anywhere in the world if he wanted to, but he doesn't have to go too far in uh, NXT. Yeah, I think it also allows William Regal to kind of stay in the role that people love him in. He doesn't really need to change and. Uh, he's not leaving. So I'm interested to see how Samojo fits into this, if it'll eventually lead to maybe just one more match for him. But if he's not in a wrestling role right now, I don't I don't know exactly if he, he will be in the future. But uh, it was cool seeing him come out. And I'm cool. It, like, again, we don't know what, what's going on with him physically. And WWE's kind of been quick to potentially retire guys you know like we, we saw with daniel bryan but he came back and you know wrestled and uh you know when it comes to the head and neck injuries and stuff like that so i don't know you know what's going on with Samoa joe but that you know wouldn't surprise me if he's just the injuries finally caught up to him and they won't clear him anymore but uh, i mean he's got a job for life there pretty much it, it seems now he He's ingratiated himself. I feel like he's like a Kevin Owens where he would have a job for life where there's like that indie darling that comes over to WWE and they have success, but not, you know, they're not the face of the company, but they'll have that spot in the company, you know, as long as they want it. Uh, you know, if he gets the itch to wrestle, I mean, he can obviously sign elsewhere, but he decided not to. I mean, he was literally released, like, in real life. It wasn't a storyline, so he could have went to AEW. He could have went, you know, to the indie, you know, those, those indie wrestling events picking up again. So, I mean, they could have, uh, he could have signed one of them or done another match, but he decided to sign back with WWE knowing that he wasn't going to be in the ring, like, right away, or, you know, maybe they'll eventually have that, or push him to have another match, but as of now, that's not the case, and that's kind of like my thoughts on it. I, I hope, you know, you brought you brought up before this Samoa Joe convo, the NXT names that they can bring back and whatever, and you went with Heat Wave, but why not NXT? Summerfest! No. <laughs> Unless you get, like, Jamie Piven to host it, maybe. <laughs> and I feel, like, I feel like that could happen, but, um, you know, maybe Samoa Joe's here to bring Summerfest. us... You just brought up a reason to use that button. That's all you wanted to do. That had nothing to do with what you was talking about. That's why I had to circle back, you see. You just wanted to find a reason to use that <laughs> in the show. And this was this was the opportunity for you. It was. It was. Because I can't use it, you know, throwing a kick in the ring, 97. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you could have found a way. Because you I didn't really, have to use it here. The, the idea, the ideal time would have been when you were listing those names. And I just completely, like didn't even occur to me so i had to make up for it in my own mind (laughs) okay i'm glad you i'm you know i had to make todd i had to make todd pettengill proud why why does it have to do with todd pettengill because he's my guy 
Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Say no more. We, we just had takeover in your house, so he's a man. I, ho- right. I hope he comes back every year for this. Or you know, I mean, I would love to see him back full time, but you know, he, he he does what he does. But if he can come back at least for the takeover in your house, I'm like. It's enough for me. <laughs> Where's Sean Morley, man? Sean Morley. Sh- no, Morley. <laughs> See, you don't even know his name. Mooney. Sean Mooney. You don't, Mooney. Even, you don't even know his name. Man, he's, I keep he's doing supposed it. to be your guy. He and you is. Don't even know his I name. swear he is. Sean Mooney. Where is he at? Oh, man. I deserve it. <laughs> Damn. That's the second time I did that. Keep confusing him with about <laughs> Venus. What's wrong with me? Sean Mooney. No relation to Paul to the late great Paul Mooney, Sean Mooney. Where the hell is he at? He's gonna get Todd Pettengill. He was doing was, a that uh, primetime podcast, but uh, he hasn't been doing it recently. Was so. was Sean Mooney ever on in your house? I don't know if he was in WWE by no, that time. No, he had 95. left in like ninety early ninety three or something. So mm, okay, yeah. so I guess it wouldn't make sense. I guess Todd Pettengill, you know, is, is Mr. In Your House from, the, from that what, perspective. Yeah, that's what people view him as. I just view him as, like, the guy with, from Mania. He's more Mania and Livewire for me, but I guess because he gave away the house on the first In Your House. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. People just, <laughs> he's like the In Your House guy, but, um, yeah. <laughs> Todd's my guy. Yeah. Todd's your guy. Todd Pettengill was at King of the Ring 1997. Yes, he was. Which is a Patreon request we're about to dive deep into. But before we dive into it, we got to have our patron for this episode, Chris Johnson, drop in and deliver his thoughts on King of the Ring 1997. Take it away, Chris. Hey, what's going on, Straight Shooters? It's Chris Johnson uh, here to give you my thoughts on the King of the Ring from 1997. That was one of the better King of the Rings in the history of the pay-per-view. The opening video package was about a night of first. It was the first time that the tag team champions with one-on-one pay-per-view was Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels. You also had part of the package talking about Farouk possibly becoming the first black WWF champion in history and about the King of the Ring tournament itself. Getting to the show, I'm always a fan of you know the doors being opened by the two royal guards like you guys are. I think that's a pretty cool touch for the show. First match of the night, Ahmed Johnson versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley in the semifinals of the King of the Ring tournament. These guys actually had a match in the first round of the tournament, and it was not really sure. I don't remember exactly what happened with the match, but they had the rematch in the same tournament in the semis. I was a big fan of Ahmed Johnson as a kid, and I really wanted him to win the tournament. Uh, story this match to me was pretty much the power of Ahmed versus Ahmed Johnson versus the technique of uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Uh, Hunter Helmsley wins the match after hitting a pedigree on Ahmad Johnson after China got involved in the match. I thought it was a pretty decent opener to the show. Second match was the second semifinal for King of the Ring, which was Mankind and Jerry the King Lawler. I thought Mankind got a pretty good pop. And the promo he cut before the match was pretty cool, mixing in a couple of his gimmicks in the promo. Jerry Lawler, as he's known to do throughout his career, was the doing the dirty tactics throughout the match with pulling out a foreign object of his trunk out of his trunks. Mankind won the match with the Mandible Claw. It wasn't a five-star classic by any means, but I thought it was a really, really good match, and it was better than I remembered watching it. Next match was Crush versus Goldust. Uh, Marlena and Goldust got a good reaction from the crowd. 
The only thing that I really could pick out from this match, I mean, it was a match, Goldust won, but the only thing that I could really pick out for this match was Clarence Mason soliciting Marlene, I guess, for his lawyer services for something. I wasn't really exactly sure what that was all about. Next match of the night was a six-man tag between Legion of Doom, Psycho Sid versus the Hart Foundation, which comprised of Jimmy Anvil, Nyhart, British Bulldog, and Owen Hart. Was all I've always was always impressed with the power of the British Bulldog, being able to hold a vertical suplex for a while and whoever he had. Hawk Hawk no selling the pile driver from the British Bulldog I thought was weird. Earl Hebner, as you know Nick's favorite, uh, he's definitely not the go-to referees. He had some issues trying to keep track of the legal man and try to keep it under control. There was lots of double team offense from the Hart Foundation, and they won the match with. Owen trying to perform a sunset flip on Psycho Sid, but he kind of botched it. Sid wouldn't go over. It was an okay match, I thought. Finals from the King of the Ring tournament, you had Mankind and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. I like how Hunter, you know, continued the story of working on the head and neck area of Mankind. That that was injured during the semifinal match where Lawler pretty much picked up where he left off. Um, Mankind took a lot of sick bumps during the match with his head being stuck between the ropes. The elbow drop he tried to do on Triple H, but he missed. Him getting pedigreed through the table. Getting hit with a scepter by China. And Triple H winning the match with the pedigree. I thought it was a really, really good match. And you kind of see him at the start of the uh, being more of a heel like the DX tendencies he kind of showed during the match. Next match was Tag Champ versus Tag Champ. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Shawn Michaels. Moment where Sean broke character, he'd help with Special Olympian backstage when he got over the guardrail, he fell over the guardrail. One of the things I really liked about the match was Stone Cold mocking HBK's signature pose after hitting him with the reverse elbow. I thought that was pretty funny and pretty cool. I thought it was a really, really good match. A lot of technical stuff back and forth. A couple ref bumps in the match was with, you know, the stunner on Tim White. Then the stunner to HBK. Uh, and then Sean hit Sweet Chin Music on Stone Cold and hit it on Mike Heald as well. Then, of course, you know, good old Earl Hebner has to come down and screwed up with the wonky finish with the double DQ because the abuse of the refs. I thought it was a really, really good match. The finish was a little strange to me. And the main event, Farouk versus The Undertaker for the WWF title. I thought it was a hard-hitting physical match. You know, Paul Bear trying to coax The Undertaker to do things because he was holding that secret over his head. Basically blackmailing The Undertaker to have, to have him do whatever he wanted. Uh... I like the old school that The Undertaker was going to perform on Farouk until he did like a backwards dive onto the nation to try to take them out. I thought that was cool. Undertaker wins with the tombstone after Farouk was distracted by the infighting between Crush and Savio. After the match, you had, you know, The Undertaker continuing the uh, abuse on Farouk because Paul Bearer told him to. Then Ahmed Johnson came out and tried to get The Undertaker to come to his senses and not listen to Paul Bearer. But instead, Ahmad gave The Undertaker the Pearl River Plunge, and that was the end of the show. I thought it was a really, really good show. Um, one of the, Like I said, one of the better King of the Rings in history. I appreciate you guys allowing me to be on this podcast once again. The best wrestling podcast out right now, The Straight Shooters. If you guys don't know, you need to check them out. You guys be safe out there. Enjoy the rest of your week. I'll talk to you guys later. Peace out. Thanks again, Chris, for joining us on the show. Thanks for the love, as always. We appreciate it. Uh, Damn straight about Earl Hebner, man. Like, what the hell is wrong with that dude? Man. Like, he he, he just wants to be in the spotlight. He's like the first referee just, that wanted to hog the spotlight ever in the history of pro wrestling. You're literally just turning people against Earl Hebner. I'm pretty sure Chris Johnson didn't even think about Earl Hebner 
before <laughs> listening to Listen. this podcast on a weekly basis. And now he's a, a Earl Haber, Earl Hebner, Earl Hebner hater like yourself. Earl it's Mooney. shameful, honestly. You should Earl, be ashamed of yourself. Earl Morley. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, was, I was saying Earl Hebner hater, but I, I said like Hebner. I just combined it. Hebnator. So, but yeah, yeah Hebnator. He's like trying to be the big guy. Like you and you, we're both out of here. Like what? Get out of here, man. You're not an umpire. Like relax. You're not Joe West, who I also dislike. <laughs> uh, uh, well, a lot of baseball fans just like Joe West. <laughs> You're not getting in line for that one. Yeah. I don't like. I haven't watched him enough to know like about him, but I've seen his name a lot on Twitter, and people don't like Joe West. <laughs> I know that much. It's a very polarizing guy because there are people that love him, and I just don't understand it. Uh, okay. Well, again, I don't know enough. Uh, I just see what I see on Twitter, and I haven't seen anybody that said they love the guy. <laughs> I haven't seen that one time. Um, see a lot of dislike for him, in fact. Yeah, Earl, but, you know what? Earl Hebner is definitely oh, the Joe West of WWE history. Wow. Yeah, I might, that's what I'm going to go with from now on. Mm, He's mm, the mm, Joe mm. West of WWF. I'll take your word for it, the Joe West part of it. But thanks again to Chris Johnson. If you want to be like Chris Johnson and join us on the show, head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash radio, and you can put in your request. We shall fulfill that request after you pay the nominal fee, of course. You got to pay the fee of two bucks a month. <laughs> got to pay us the money first, okay? But after you pay us the money, <laughs> we fulfill the request, and then we allow you Take a couple minutes to give your thoughts on the show. You couldn't, couldn't get a better deal than that. You get to be a part of the Straight Shooters for an episode. Chris Johnson taking advantage of it multiple times. Yes. And you can be just like him. Again, patreon.com slash shooters radio. Head over there. Put in your request. doesn't have to be a wrestling event. doesn't have to be a pay-per-view. It could be, like we've said many times, an episode of a sitcom that a wrestler appeared on or something like that. So, King Kong Bundy on, uh, what was it, Married with Children? Hit us <laughs> yeah. up. Vader on Boy Meets World, we'll we'll talk about it. <laughs> like, Foley too, Mankind on Boy Meets World as well. Right, yeah, Bret Hart on The Simpsons. Yeah. Let's do it. We'll do Lonesome Dove if we can find yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where those episodes of that show exist, but that was a Bret Hart show. We'll do that. <laughs> Just go head over to Patreon.com/slash this Radio, and we'll we'll take care of it. We got you. We've done movies already. We did uh, No Holds Barred. We've done Beyond the Mat. We've done uh, You Can't Kill, You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Uh, you know, so mm-hmm. we'll we'll get back after it. You know, but if you want us to request certain something specific, again, one last time, patreon.com slash shooters radio. Nick, are you ready to dive deep into King of the Ring 1997? Let's do it. All right. Oh, it's live, pal. Tonight will be a night of firsts. For the first time, two reigning tag team champions will put their gold aside to wage war against one another. But this is no ordinary tag team, and these are no ordinary combatants. Both men are looking for respect from an unlikely source a partner. For the first time, we may see an African-American as WWF champion. But Baruch is not going into battle alone. He has the support of a nation. A nation he has manipulated into believing its existence is predicated solely on this victory. 
a victory that must come at the hands of a vulnerable undertaker whose haunting past has forced an unlikely reunion with Paul Bearer. For the first time, one of these men will become king of the ring, and to the victor will go the spoils. Tonight will be a night of firsts, as Super Soaker presents the 1997 King of the Ring. Yes, yes, that is the intro for King of the Ring 1997, where they called it a night of firsts. We're going to talk all about that nonsense in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> one particular first is always, you know, stuck in my crawl. But we're going to talk about it. King of the Ring 1997 took place on June 8th, 1997, and it emanated from the Providence Civic Center in Providence, Rhode Island. Of course, the Providence, Providence Civic Center is now known as the Dunkin' Donut Center. Uh, it is the home of the Providence Friars basketball team. And actually, even though you know they don't have an NBA team in Providence, Rhode Island, they have had a couple of NBA games played in the Dunkin' Donut Center, including... Our favorite basketball team, the Philadelphia 76ers. How about that? What? They played a regular season game at the Providence Civic Center or the Dunkin' Donuts Center, whatever you want to call it, against the Celtics because, of course, Rhode Island's in the New England area. Boston Celtics are also in the New England area. Oh. So I guess they're New England's team, just like the New England Patriots. Um, but the Celtics hosted the Sixers at the arena December 30th, 1972. And then the Celtics hosted a preseason game there against the New York Knickerbockers, better known as New York Knicks, of course, uh, on October 9th, 2013. So, I mean, I'm sure they did, maybe, I guess, you know. <laughs> Probably. Uh, there's some butts in the seats at King of the Ring 1997. 13,312 to be Ooh. exact, uh, according to good old Wikipedia. Uh, which I thought was a pretty big crowd for like 1997. Uh, am I tripping about yeah, that? 13,312? I mean, yeah, King of the Ring is a, uh, I guess, a staple at that point. But, you know, summer, June 8th, you know, 97. That's a pretty good number, I would say, for WWF. I would time. say that. Not sure how many of those people were paid customers <laughs> on this night, but. All of them were you know, the know. WWE employees. Like when Vince, <laughs> when Vince fired everyone in that arena. And he fired us uh, all on TV. Like maybe they were all that's employees. True. <laughs> he did fire everybody one time, didn't he? <laughs> he did. <laughs> He's stupid. He's dumb. He hired, yeah, 13, us. 000, he hired us just to fire us. Right. 13,212, I thought it was, again, pretty big crowd for this time period. It'd be, I mean, they'd, be, they'd see stuff like this on a regular basis like in the next year or two. But 97, yeah, that's still pretty good. Um, but... It, 1997, obviously, was a very interesting year. A lot happened in WWF and WCW. I mean, it's arguably some people's favorite year in wrestling. When you talk about WWF, at least their main event scene was pretty good, including on this night. WCW's main event scene was really Sting chasing Hulk Hogan for a year. Uh, outside of that, it wasn't great, but you also had the Cruiserweights. You had great stuff with, you know, the undercard in WCW was great. The main events were not. but And then you had ECW, which was still in really good standing, really good shape, and they were putting on good shows in 1997. So it was a very good year for pro wrestling. But behind the scenes, especially in WWF, oh, were things super duper interesting. Okay? <laughs> Mainly because of Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, who weren't even on screen together, I don't think, on this show. But backstage... 
man, were they beating each other up. <laughs> <laughs> literally. And, literally. And, and, and verbally, too, on screen, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, including, you know, Shawn Michaels on May 19th cut the whole Sunny Days promo, uh, which resulted in a shoot fight between the two. Bret Hart was like, yo, my marriage is at stake here. <laughs> like, yeah. My wife didn't like that. Uh, and it's weird, you know, in hindsight, because Shawn Michaels is the one who had plenty of sunny days. Mm-hmm. And Bret Hart, as far as we knew, did not. Um, but Shawn Michaels is the one who was running around with Sonny. Um, but my, you know, Bret Hart was pissed off about it, rightfully so. And he fought Bret Shawn Michaels. Now, I think I think this happened like a day or two after the show or a day or two before the show. I want to say it was happened after the show was, because I believe uh, either the next raw or the raw after. So I think it was the next, the next night, the next night or a week after. So yeah, yeah. It was definitely in June. I know that. Right. I think it was the next night. So this is June 8th. Raw would have happened June 9th. I think it happened then because Shawn Michaels eventually would leave for a little bit because he deemed it an unsafe working environment yeah. and forcing him and Steve Austin to vacate the tag team titles. They both were not on the show because that happened like before Raw started, and they were not on the show. So, you know, yeah, they both <laughs> went home, pretty much. Right, crazy to think about that. You know, Vince had to do that, and really like a prime spot, for, like his top two guys. With the obviously Austin's getting there too, but in the heat, the height of the ratings war, you know, just be like, you guys aren't going to be on TV. It's kind of crazy to think about in hindsight. It is. But things had to cool down, man. Mm-hmm. There was, the tension was that thick between Bret Hart and his homies and Shawn Michaels and his homies, mm-hmm. which is really, I guess, Shawn, just Triple H at that point, right? Yeah. <laughs> and China, I guess that was it. I don't know how many other friends he had in the promotion. <laughs> Close friends. Like, you know, Nash and, and Hall and Kid were all gone, so... Mm-hmm. I'm sure Shawn Michaels had other people he liked, I guess, including Sonny. We'll include Sonny in that as well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, how many other homies did he have, really, at that point? Because, you know, the consensus is that he was an asshole. People didn't like him. So, you know, you, you have that as your reputation. You're probably not going to have too many friends. Um, but, like I mentioned earlier, there's also where, you know, that's King of the Ring was promoted around a night of firsts. And, of course, the main event is for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. It is The Undertaker defending against Farouk. And Farouk's, I guess, I'm pretty sure this is his first title match. Maybe his only one-on-one title match. He might have had another one in 97. I do not recall. Either way, Farouk had a chance to become the very first African-American WWF or now WWE champion. He was already the first African-American World Heavyweight Champion in WCW five years prior, of course, 1992. He's the first recognized Black World Champion, but that to this point there had never been a even half Black <laughs> WWE Champion or WWF Champion back then. And I've, we talked about this before, you know, especially when Bobby Lashley won the title uh, from The Miz earlier this year. And I think he's only the third man, third Black man. To win the WWE Championship, The Rock being the first, Kofi Kingston, I believe, being the second. I'm not. I don't think I'm missing anybody. As far as that, right? No, if we're talking, yeah, WWE champion. Just, just WWE champions, because yeah. there've been more than that as far as World Heavyweight champions or WCW yeah. champions. We talk about Booker T, Mark Henry. Mm-hmm. Hell, you can go to Ron Truth or Ron Truth, Ron Killings, our Truth, mm-hmm. who won the NWA title in TNA. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Bobby Lashley won a TNA title at some point. Moose has been an Impact World Champion. So there have been in other promotions that have been Black World Champions. But WWE, to this point, have only had three. Even though Booker T and Mark Henry are former World Champions, and they're both Hall of Famers, they never held the WWE Championship, only the World Heavyweight Championship. And I got to thinking again about the fact that that's a wild thing Considering that, like, if this is a meritocracy, there would have been multiple black champions, mm. more more than likely. But it's not a meritocracy. The champions, again, are not, you know, the championships aren't earned. They are chosen. You know, you are chosen to be a champion. And for, to this point, 34 years, I think the first WWE champion was crowned in 1963. So, to 1997, that would be 34 years None of those men were black who were chosen to be champion, which is wild. Right. I agree. Ron Simmons slash Farouk. (laughs) Damn. Because by this point, there had already been 13 black undisputed heavyweight champions in boxing, starting with Joe Lewis in 1937. But he wasn't even the first black world champion because Jack Johnson was the first black world heavyweight champion in boxing. He won a title in 1908. (laughs) <laughs> okay, we're talking about 90 years prior to 1997. All right, just so it happened, the first world heavyweight champion in wrestling that we can, I think, has been recognized was crowned in 1905, George Hackenspin. And the first recognized world champion in wrestling period wasn't crowned until 87 years later when Ron Simmons won the title. What the hell? Pro wrestling, but also specifically WWE. I mean, look, I understand they've put their world title on black people. They have done that. But the WWE Championship, for whatever reason, has eluded black people. Don't know why. Until that's their the face of the company championship. Right. That's the WWE Championship. Now, I think, honestly, I think you can... um, there are times I think they put the universal title above that, depending on who has it, I think. Like, Roman Reigns, I think, would be, like, their main guy right now. Yeah, I agree. And he would be main eventing the big shows, the big pay-per-views. You know, in a way, they both feel more important than they had, like, when they had, you know, two champions. This is about as strong as the two champions they've ever had. I so agree I with truth. that. And then, which is crazy, I think- considering the, the, the ratings are terrible and the program's terrible, but <laughs> yeah. the champions are... Great. <laughs> I between them two and even the women's champions, Maria Ripley and Bianca Belair, mm-hmm. yeah. great champions. Well, you go to NXT, I mean, Karrion Cross isn't necessarily my favorite, but he's a he's a strong champion. Like they don't make him look weak at all. And you got Walters, the NXT UK champion. Yeah. Like they got some badasses yeah. as champions right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it goes beyond who's a champion. You know, it's does that, that's not the reason why the ratings are down. It's because the product overall is yes. bad, mm-hmm. pretty much across the board. Um, that's no one person's fault. Well, wait, if it is, it's Vince McMahon. <laughs> that's the one person. None of the wrestlers. It's not their fault necessarily. Um, unless they're not ex properly executing Vince McMahon's vision, which we still got to question Vince McMahon's vision on what he's presenting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, I think it's, it's super interesting to, to think about that. Like, it took decades and decades for black man to be officially recognized as the world heavyweight champion because i think there might have been some reigns that weren't officially recognized but 
the first recognized one, and the one that everybody points to as the official first black champion happened in 1992. Whereas in boxing, I'm not sure when, you know, the Queen's rules of boxing started. You know, I'm not exactly sure about that, but not long into the 20th century do we have a black champion. Yeah. It didn't take 92 years into the 20th century to get a black world champion in boxing. No, 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 no. We had plenty by that point. I think by the time 1990, 1992 came around, I'm pretty sure the champion was black. I think it was uh, either Riddick Bowe or Vandy Holyfield. Like, I'm pretty sure Tyson was in jail by that point. So, yeah. Wrestling still got a lot of catching up to do. And we got a couple black champions right now. We got, you know, like I said, Bobby Lashley. We got Bianca Belair. We've had Sasha Banks. We had Kofi Kingston a couple years ago. Uh, but let's keep that going. You know? Yeah. It shouldn't be another couple years before that happens. That should be a thing that's consistently a thing that black people are at the top of the card and holding the top titles. I mean, in a way, it was crazy. I remember when Bobby Lashley finally won the title, and it's almost like, finally, you know, like he should have done it right. his first go around with the WWE. And like his first world title shouldn't have been in TNA. It's just kind of ridiculous how that happened. But, you know, now that they finally put the title on him, you know, I think he's been one of the best parts of Monday Night Raw. So I would know, agree. Like you said, they got to keep it going, and it's just a, you know most sit here and after twenty plus years of being a fan, uh, really actually thirty plus years of me being a fan, uh, and now just seeing how the product's been the last few years, not even comparable to what I grew up with, and even earlier this decade, you know, like in, even in twenty ten, it you just hope that you know they stick with it and they're not just you know gonna do something stupid i guess i should say like i keep them strong and have like a reason like the story and all that it, it's just I, i'm just afraid that it right. it's too good almost because you can only go down from here uh when right. it comes to wwe and, and let's see what AEW does because you know you know they see. <laughs> we haven't had any black people hold their titles yet right i don't hmm. think I don't even think. I don't think uh, any of their titles have been held by black people. I think the yet. tag titles, which you would think mm-hmm. like uh, Pride and Powerful and or you know Private Party, like you know what's going on there. Like now, why? <laughs> let me be fair here. I want. I'm, I'm gonna suggest this for all people of color in general too. That goes for you know uh, Latin Latin people, Asian people, whatever. Uh, black and brown people should be more featured at the top of these cards. It also goes for. Uh, people on the gender spectrum, wherever they lie on the gender spectrum and sexual orientation. So all that. Mm-hmm. So if a Sunny Kiss is worthy of being a world champion or a TNT champion, he should get that opportunity. Saying, you know, Nala Rose has been the world champion in yeah. AEW, so yeah. kudos to them for that. And they've had Asian women's champions, right? Um, but WWE, who've had Asian women's champions, I don't think they've had an Asian world champion, though. Unless you count, I mean, I guess you count Greg Kali as an Asian because he's from India. He's Indian, though. But, um, but that's in the continent of Asia, technically. Um, but yeah, it's 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 uh it's interesting. That's something that should be more. The, the title should be going to more than just white people. <laughs> you know, like, There's no you know, other way to say white, it. Like, yeah, right. White cis males and white cis females. Like, we open it up to anyone who is worthy, who is talented enough, 
and who is a draw. Obviously, you want to you know base it off of who's making money, who's selling tickets, stuff like that. I think you, if you give people put people in the proper position, they can sell tickets too. You know, all yes, these people can try it, to it's can all sell about tickets. the marketing behind it. The company really owns that, so you could tell if they want to have someone be the face of their company based on the promotion and. It almost seems like it's always been the white males or females getting more promotion than everyone else. So, you know, you need you need to have the equal promotion and see honestly if they draw money now with fans coming back. Hopefully, they keep the titles on. You know, Ashley and Roman to see. You know, can they draw money? But it's all about how they're presented, and you know how with WWE everything's scripted to a T. So, you know, it's really on them. You know, it's almost like. I feel like Lashley can't. I mean, hopefully he has a voice to, to about his character and, and MVP too. But uh, not, it's always going to be Vince's decision, and let's see if the marketing and promotional tool is really behind them. Yeah, Sixers so. up by fourteen after one. Ooh, all right, don't tell me no more. I don't want to get excited. <laughs> <laughs> you see how excited I got just that quite, that fast. They were just about to go to a commercial, so I had to slip it in before I forgot the score. All right, <laughs> just don't. All right, take it easy. All right, take it easy. All right, <laughs> so back to King of the Ring, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, we had to have that discussion though again because this is wild stuff, and it's still happening. But it's it's it, we're gonna keep talking about it too. Keep reminding people of this of these facts. But the presenting sponsor. Of King of the Ring 1997, Super Soaker. I don't think I've ever seen that on WWF or any other wrestling promotion. Super Soaker, which is one of the dopest toys of all time, right? Super Soaker. Yeah, and they were all over their product, too. I remember, I think Sonny was even playing with it, and I'm sure Jerry Lawler was, and maybe he was like squirting Sonny, or maybe it was like a commercial or something. But I definitely remember Super Soaker being like a huge part of my childhood, and the fact I was seeing it on WWF. TV, I was like, yes, like this is amazing. Because <laughs> I it's went around, a big and I part had of... like friends, and we we all had super soakers, so it was great. Big, it's still a big part of like culture in general. Like when you're kids, you're playing with it in your yard and whatnot. Yeah, soaking people up. It's a great, great toy. Uh, and then even as adults, like people still when they go to beach parties or whatever, you see college kids <laughs> running around <laughs> super soakers and slip and slides too, for that matter, all the time. But like they got like. And it's such a versatile toy. You can make it after based off a franchise. Like, you know, my friend uh, has a you know has a my friend's mom has a pool in her backyard. She invites me and Gabby over, and my girlfriend over. We go hang out in the pool and stuff like that. And they bought my daughter Fortnite Super Soakers. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what we are in the 21st century. We got Fortnite Super Soakers, and they got these big, big old like Gatling type gun like. That's like you can like crank it up and stuff like that. It's yeah. it's crazy, yeah. but it's still great. <laughs> like mm-hmm. so, Super Soaker, very versatile toy, still great toy. And next time I'm in the pool, which probably won't happen in Cancun, I'm not bringing a Super Soaker to Cancun. But let's <laughs> next time I'm in my friend's mom's pool or at my friend's mom's house, uh, I'll be you know spraying people down with water again with the Super Soaker. So always a great toy. Uh, big pile display to start the show. And then we got Vince McMahon yelling his way through yet another introduction. <laughs> but this time he's alongside Jim Ross only, not Jerry Lawler. Jerry Lawler is wrestling. He is in the King of the Ring semifinals. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But our first match is a King of the Ring semifinal. Not Jerry Lawler's match, though. It is Ahmed Johnson 
going up against Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who's come a long way from 1996. <laughs> as we mentioned last week, that man was firmly in the doghouse after the curtain call. He wasn't even on the show. He was in a dark match, and he, he beat the only other person that he was able to beat on the roster, and that was Aldo Montoya in the dark match. But on this night, he is in the semifinals. He is on the show and in the semifinals. And they actually, these two actually faced each other in the first round, apparently. And Ahmed Johnson won by disqualification. But due to a quote-unquote officiating technicality, Triple H was put back in the tournament and beat Crush to get to the semifinals. Do you recall this officiating technicality? I, I don't. I've, I've told myself I was going to go watch it back, but I just didn't. And But I do. I did uh, read that apparently Vader was injured, so he was going to be like the one moving on or be in the tournament. So Triple H just took Vader's spot again after he was eliminated. So really, it, it begs the question... Was Triple H always going to win King of the Ring '97? I'm not. Mm. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I think it was a decision made. Like, well, you know, out of Mankind, Jerry Lawler, and Ahmed Johnson, you would probably pick either Ahmed or Mankind. And with the way they were having those Mankind sit down interviews with Jim Ross, it made sense to me at the time as a fan that Mankind was going to win the King of the Ring. Uh, so, yeah, it was. You know, go, going from, like, Austin, who was a heel the year before, and then uh, Mabel was the heel the year before, and Owen Hart was the heel the year before, I was like, oh, like, it would be nice to have a good guy win the King of the Ring, because I remember, you know, thinking back to the previous three. So I was kind of convinced Mankind was going to win. And I wonder if they were convinced, too, until they just decided to go with the Triple H so they could have a feud with Mankind. Maybe Mankind would get more over feuding with the King of the Ring, which he kind of did at that time. Yes, uh, with their trilogy of matches. So, uh, yeah, I just I don't I'm not convinced that Triple H was always the option to win King of the Ring '97 until they just kind of put him back in after Vader got hurt. But I I do mm-hmm. not remember I do not remember the officiating technicality or how they explained it. Mm. Yeah, that's what they said on his show. The officiating technicality. Maybe his sh- shoulder was up or he was on the ropes. I, I don't remember. Hmm. Uh, JR at one point in the match, for one, JR had a lot of little factoids yeah. on the show. He yeah. was going overboard, honestly, with yeah, a lot of it. Was. Like, who this he person really was trained by. Yep. He had everybody. This person was trained by Jose Therio. This person was trained by Skandar Akbar. I was like, all right, now I see where uh, WCW got the material from when they did the Oklahoma character. Because <laughs> this, this is literally what they were mocking him for. Now, that, that, that was trash, what they did, but I see where they got the material from because Jim Ross was had all the little factoids where everybody was trained or who who trained him. But one factoid stuck out and that <laughs> during this match, yeah. Jim Ross said Amma Johnson obviously was not rich. I mean, you know, Triple H's character was that he was rich. He was a blue blood. He was American royalty, so to speak. And he's like, Amma Johnson, he grew up on the other side of the tracks. And instead of joining uh, this, he joined the gang. He joined the bloods. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I never knew Armin Johnson was a blood. If that's true, I would hope nobody would lie about that um, because that's not something you want to lie about because you will get G-checked <laughs> in these streets. So I would imagine that is true. And they would also explain why Armin Johnson always wore red <laughs> okay, in his gear. Uh, he, we never saw him in blue. I'm just going to say that. But I never knew that. I never knew that Armin Johnson was at least according to Jim Ross, a blood. So, 
I mean, okay. he, he kind of changed it when he joined the nation, but that was what for two weeks. <laughs> right, and he but he didn't wear blue though, did no, he? No, Mm-mm. he did not do that. He had everything was red, <laughs> the, 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 all the elbow pads and the thighs red. Eight, the fifteen knee pads, yep, everything. Right, <laughs> red. Okay, that explains a lot. <laughs> right, uh, but this finish of this match was kind of abrupt in my opinion. Uh, Ahmed Johnson's whooping all kinds of ass. And then hit the Pearl River Plunge. So you're like, okay, it's about to be over. But then China hopped up on the apron to distract him. Ahmed Johnson was easily distracted and talking to her. And that allowed Triple H to come in from behind him and hit him with a running knee to his back. He then just hit the pedigree and won. And it's like, oh, all right, well, I guess Ahmed Johnson's not winning. <laughs> the yeah. king of the ring, man. Yeah, I mean, he got and a good that. pop, too. I mean, it wasn't like he was floundering or anything, but I guess they obviously will see they had plans for him. Uh, late down the yes. road, but uh, yeah, it was it just made him look stupid because China was already down on the mat and he's like staring at her, putting himself in position, like not even looking at her. And it was just weird. He's just waiting for Triple H to nail him, and I I hate that those kind of finishes. I'm like, man, it's like at least make it look believable to me. Like <laughs> even at, like uh, it just made him look. Yeah, stupid. it wasn't great. They, they didn't need to do that. They could have just had him. You know, the referee trying to get China down off the apron, Ahmed confront her, and then have Triple H low blow him and then do the pedigree. That is a better ending than what we saw. Yeah, this was kind of, it just didn't feel like very climactic. It just came. Especially when you said happened. he was dominated. Like Ahmed was dominating the match pretty much. And then it's right. like, oh, Triple H just wins like that. Sucked. Okay. <laughs> so. Triple H advances, or well, Hunter Hearst Helmsley advances, I should say, to the King of the Ring finals. He will meet the winner of the other semifinal, Mankind versus Jerry the King Lawler. First thing I noticed is that I always liked that Mankind didn't know how to react to people cheering him. <laughs> and that WWE just kind of let it play out organically. You know, they just, they just, they, they heard people cheering him. And maybe it was their intention. Maybe they wanted to get people on his side. Maybe that was the plan all along. Which, okay, fine, but they didn't go overboard with making him do babyface things. He just kind of, people started cheering him, and he's like, yeah, you know, people like him. He doesn't know how to react to it. And I feel like if that happened today, they would fight against it. Like, mankind's supposed to be a heel, damn it. (laughs) He would keep doing heel things, i.e. Rusev Day. Rusev Day was super popular in 2016, 2017, whatever it was. The dude was over, and they just like, but you're a heel. <laughs> and that was it. And they're like, well, okay. And he's a good heel. Don't get me wrong. Look at him in, in AEW. He's a great heel. But I think they, ha- they WWE definitely had something with Rusev because he's very charismatic. And I think he likes getting cheered. I mean, he likes doing a heel stuff, but I think he likes being admired by the people. Mm-hmm. And he's a funny guy. He can work as a babyface. But WWE was just like, nope, heel. But it's 97, they're just like, hey, let's, whatever. You're a babyface now. You ran, you ran your course as a heel. They let let mankind embrace it, which I thought was, I thought it was good. It was, like you said, organic. It was real. It felt real. It literally made sense to me. Uh, what is it? Not, it was June 97. So I'm, you know, we, I didn't tell you where I was at during that, this time. But uh, I was not 12 yet. So I was 11. And it, it made sense to me, like, it's weird that they're cheering him, but the announcers played it off like, 
You know, he's getting a relatively positive reception. His popularity seems to be growing. And it was because his realistic interviews with Jim Ross where you yeah. knew there was some a human in there that there's reasons why he came into the WWF like that. And that all made sense to me. Even as an 11-year-old, I'm like, oh, it, I always needed like a reason why somebody was acting a certain way. And as long as I got that reason, that was enough for me, especially in wrestling. So, yeah, of course, I was like, starting to like mankind too it was like just don't hurt the undertaker again man but <laughs> and then the fact that he was showing weakness because he paul bearer kind of abandoned him to go with the undertaker and with this big secret so they were playing off that too like mankind was lonely and stuff like you can relate to that as a person so right. you know i liked that they were so like kind of real about it and just let it play out organically the way they did I'm mad at myself that I forgot to ask you where you were in life <laughs> in June of 1997. Because I can tell you I was what? Yeah, I can't do math all of a sudden. I was eight and hanging out in Southwest Philly. I moved to Southwest Philly, Philly the year before. Yeah. And I'm firmly in Southwest Philly by this point. Finishing up, I guess, what would have been second grade, I guess. But, uh, yeah, that's where I was in June of yeah, 1997. I think, I think I was still in school because this was June 8th that I hated the fact that they had, like, the pay-per-view is the first week now in 97. They put it like, instead of towards the end of the month, it was in the beginning of the month, and I absolutely hated that. So I was at the very end of my sixth grade year, and little did I know I would be heading into the best summer of my wrestling fan life because uh, I would stay up and watch. I was able to stay up and watch Raw late or Nitro late. Nitro had to replay right after, so I was able to tape Lex Luger's title win because I wasn't taping them i was just like oh lex luger's not gonna win but then he did it and i'm like oh my god where's the blank tape like i have to tape the replay so I, they had the replay after that and it was just like a great summer to just watch wrestling on monday nights for me and i wasn't working obviously i'm 11 years old but i'm you know i stayed home alone when my parents went to work and i just watched wrestling pretty much the whole i watched wrestling tapes and couldn't wait for monday night i had i don't know if i had the internet yet so if I wasn't watching the internet, I would probably do like just watch whatever my sister was watching on TV and just wait for like Monday night wrestling or something or watch old tapes when my sister didn't have the TV. So it was like a great summer for me <laughs> just watching like wrestling. And this was my favorite year of wrestling. And little did I know how great it would be like WWF in the summer 97, WCW in the summer 97, even ECW I was watching at that point. So I was having the time of my life as a wrestling fan. Right. Like I said, it was a good, it's a great year for wrestling. If you were uh, really watching wrestling week to week, um, cause there was great stuff happening on all three promotions, all three of their American promotions, I should say. Um, can't speak for what was happening in Mexico and Japan at the time, but Me back either. to mankind though, <laughs> um, back to mankind though, um, it just goes to show that authenticity works. It always works. Mm -hmm. When you reveal the authentic person for who they are, even though Mankind was still a character, but they, they revealed Mick Foley's real backstory. And guess what? People started, he started to endear himself to people. Mick Foley has a cool backstory anyway. He seems like a yeah. you know, really nice guy and the whole thing, but they did the same thing. We'll talk about it a little bit with Goldust too. Mm -hmm. Talk about his family, talk about his wife and all that stuff. And Mentioning the fact that he's the son of Dusty Rhodes. He is getting over a little bit. As a babyface, I should say. So, authenticity works. And we just need to get back to that. In WWE, at least, specifically. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed was right up top, though. 
Mankind's hair. What the hell happened to Mankind's hair? <laughs> like, it's probably just what? like finding random spots and clipping it and buzzing it or shaving it. It was great. They played off it, the I fact mean, it, that he pulled the hair out of his head. Yeah, I mean, it worked for the character. I just didn't know a specific reason behind that. Um, and you I mentioned remember being that, confused when but, he came back as Mankind or the Cactus Shack, and like we didn't see those bald spots. I was like, wait a second. Like, I didn't realize <laughs> they weren't really bald spots. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, you talked about Paul Bear um, abandoning him. He wondered where Uncle Paul had gone. Um, I thought he was talking about Paul Heyman for a second, though, and I watched this. I was like, Paul? Because this is 97. ECW was a thing. <laughs> you know, they had barely legal. It was a couple months prior. So I'm like, talking about Paul Heyman? Oh, no, Paul Bear, of course. Paul Bear. Um, Mankind had a promo. This is part of his promo before the match. And he ended the promo with Bang Bang. Because, yeah. of course, he was going to become eventually Cactus Jack at WWF. But they talked about the fact, again, Jim Ross during this match that he was... Cactus Jack, once upon a time. He wasn't always Mankind. Which is like, okay, we were pulling back all the curtains now. So, <laughs> this was not usual for pro wrestling nope. in 1997. This was, WWF had definitely taken a turn to where they were acknowledging people's past, at least Jim Ross was specifically, uh, and past, not just in their lives, because that was not a usual thing too. That was unusual. But also, their past in wrestling. Where, yeah, he played somebody else before. It's like, huh? <laughs> like, that wasn't a the thing. They didn't talk about Hulk Hogan being somebody else in the AWA. They, there was no right, such right. thing as somebody else. They didn't say Ultimate Warrior was the, the you know, the Blade Runner, you know, whatever, in, in World Class or whatever, the Dingo Warrior. Nobody talked, they didn't talk about that. He was just the Ultimate Warrior. That's, all, that's who he always was. So, it's just interesting. Uh, yeah, interesting turn there. It was different than the other channel. WCW, as hot as they were and as great as a lot of their stories were and matches, uh, they weren't really in-depth like this where, you know, this this grabbed my attention. It's one of the things that I, I would watch on the weekend shows just to see if I missed anything. It, like, really pay attention to these interviews because I think they did, what, like four Weeks in a row of like man, maybe three or four weeks something in a row. like that, yeah. So multiple weeks. It's like you know it's a big deal, and you know they're trying to tell you something. And WCW, as like I said, as good as they were, they weren't doing the same thing. So this was different. WWF was doing something different. And even though the ratings might not have said like told you they were better, I mean they weren't. But this particular thing and the same thing with Goldust, they were like just great things as a fan that I really enjoyed even back then. Yeah, it was, it was good stuff. It was very good stuff. Um, <laughs> what else is good stuff was Jerry Lawler's promo that he was cutting <laughs> on his way to the ring again. He did it last year at King of the Ring, and he did it again at King of the Ring in 1997. You better be happy, McMahon, that mankind is here. You better hope nothing ever happens to him, because if he dies, then you're going to be the ugliest man on earth. My God. <laughs> Not quite as funny it. as the no. the uh, that's your head or did your neck throw up joke. That was a wild joke, but um, yeah. that's yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of things to pick on Milwaukee, Milwaukee about, but uh, <laughs> you know he was relatively tame in this one. But I enjoyed that that quip. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, Jerry Lawler just riffing on the square, I guess, ripping on everybody on his way to the ring. He just did it all the time, apparently. Uh, but as far as the actual match itself, Mick Foley took some crazy bumps. <laughs> yeah, to Lawler, too. It's like, what? <laughs> Get out of here. 
<laughs> like diving headfirst into the steel steps looked bad. I don't know if it actually hurt, but it looked bad. Um, and then he did the, the they did the table. Then they do something on the table at some point. That was in Triple H's match. I take that back. That wasn't this particular match. Um, but this match had lasted a lot longer than I expected. It really did. It definitely this a lot longer like, than Triple H and Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> right. That was such a short, abrupt kind of match. This one went really long. I did not expect that from Mankind and Jerry Lawler. I honestly lost interest at a certain point. I was just like, okay, what, what are we? Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. I but did the, the finish. Go ahead. I, I did find interesting. Lawler was more uh, vicious than we really see him in his WWF matches, and it's because he's going against you know Mick Foley and stuff like that. But uh, you know he was biting the ear, you know that you know mankind didn't have and stuff like that and. Uh, stuff like that, and we were just two months away from seeing Jerry Lawler against Tommy Dreamer at an ECW pay per view. So maybe he was trying to get some extreme uh, stuff going on during his matches, so he would feel comfortable against Tommy Dreamer. But yeah, he would face Tommy Dreamer at uh, Hardcore Heaven two months after this, and for ECW's oh, pay per view. So uh, yeah, he was. I was, and I found it weird, you know, in the Triple H match, you know, the bumps he would take, and I was like, man, like. Everybody looked badass kind of facing him because of the bumps he would take. I'd be like, wow, Lawler yes. is like crazy. Like maybe I mean, he's better than I thought or something like that. It's no accident that when The Rock was the champion, who did they put him up against to make to bring out his vicious side? Mm-hmm. Mick Foley. Mm-hmm. Right? When he first became champion in 98. Then next two years later, when it's Triple H's turn to get his vicious side out, who do they put him up against? <laughs> you know? Mick Foley, so you know that was a he, it, it, it's kind of a detriment almost that he could take a an ass whooping and look really good at taking an ass whooping because I mean his it took a physical toll on his body obviously, um, but it got him some big matches, it got him a main event spot. He yeah. won the title multiple times, but he had a very important position of getting certain guys over, like you said. It helped with Triple H in 97. It also helped with Triple H in 2000. It helped with The Rock in 98 and 99. So, you know, hell, help, it helped Edge in ninety in 2006. Yeah. <laughs> it helped Randy and Orton in he 2004. Yeah, he, I, I think Orton needed it more than Edge at that point. But I, I'd agree God, with that. Like, it was still great, and I think it still helped Edge's legend, uh, I think, even though he, I particularly don't think he needed that. But because I think it was just because I didn't want Mick to keep taking those bumps. Because at that point, I knew like I didn't want to see that anymore. Because I felt bad for him. Like it's clear. He, I think even think his DVD came out by that point. So like we'd seen the documentary about his body breaking down, stuff like that. Royal Rumble '99. Like I've seen Beyond the Map by then. But yeah, like the Randy Orton stuff, I thought was fantastic. And obviously that Edge match was great. So that right. it really it did. Even though I didn't think it needed to they helped them gigantically right uh the finish of this match came when there was almost like a sort of a sunset flip kind of spot with jerry lawler uh he tried to get mankind down for the pin attempt but mankind just fell hit him with the mandible claw and won the match and advanced to the mm-hmm. finals of the king of the ring to go up against hunter hurst helmsley moving on we have a promo from the loose cannon Brian Pillman. He felt like he was responsible for driving a wedge between Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin. Of course, Steve Austin and Brian Pillman had this rivalry going. 
and he drove the wedge. So he felt happy about that, but he wasn't happy when Steve Austin snuck up from behind him very easily, I might add. <laughs> like, was he not in the Hart beat- Foundation locker room? Like, what was going on there? I don't know. He was somewhere where there was a bathroom because Steve Austin <laughs> whooped his ass and then dragged him into a bathroom and stuffed his face, stuffed his head in the toilet, which just so happened to be a camera in, by the way, which is like, all right, WWF. <laughs> You don't have cameras in bathroom stalls. That's illegal. That's an invasion of privacy. <laughs> Something um, that I didn't even know, but I enjoyed the the angle. I thought it was hilarious. So, right, we couldn't get the cameraman just put the camera above the stall. That's something that that wasn't something that could be rehearsed. I guess I don't know. Uh, but what we did see from that shot inside the stall was Steve Austin <laughs> give this man a swirly, which is like a classic high school bully move. Like, And it's a shame. Bullies suck, by the way. But yes. swirlies are just kind of funny. I don't know why. <laughs> he gave this man a swirly. He's a grown man giving each other a swirly. So yeah, that was yeah. a thing. But it was great, the angle. And you see Austin come in, and then he bends down, but then he comes back up and says, Whatever Pillman says, he says, you damn right. He mouths the words, you damn right. And then he attacks him. Like, that was great. <laughs> it was great. All of that was great. Yeah, Steve Austin was on a roll Maybe This was in 1997. Uh, the match I alluded to, I think, last week, where they would have a match the next night on Raw. So, I mean, it, and it was clearly not like a real match because Pillman really couldn't wrestle. So they hid that and... Uh, yeah, this was supposed to be, I guess, the King of the Ring match, so kind of worked out that way. But he looked in better shape here. I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, things would, you know, go from bad to worse in October when he passed away. But he didn't look to be in bad shape here. He, you know, he, I guess he, he was masking it very, very well. So, yeah, you know, who knows? But, uh, but moving on from that. We have Crush versus Goldust. Um, so yeah, that's that's the thing that happened on this pay per view. It did. Uh, Crush came out with the entire Nation of Domination, which I did like. I almost liked the fact that they were out there in suits with the kente cloths and stuff like that. Like it just, I don't know, it's a black person. It's like that looks awesome. But then they were like villains. So it's like they don't have to be bad guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it just cool to see a bunch of guys who you know were black and strong looking out there. I mean, obviously, they were modeling the nation after the Nation of Islam. They didn't call it Nation of Islam, Nation of Domination, um, which is is its own sect, I guess, of of Islam. Uh, who's, you know, one of the leaders is Louis Farrakhan. Some people are familiar with. Um, but yeah, they they wear the men wear a lot of suits in the Nation of Islam. Um, so this is kind of playing off of that, but not exactly because they didn't really mention religion at all. Uh, the nation of domination. So, yeah, this is why. But, if I get real a little bit, uh, this is why I listen. You know, I, I listen to black people. I listen to Black Lives Matter. Like, you just gotta listen because as a kid, this just perpetuated that stereotype of angry black man, like angry angry black man. And as a kid, I was just like, wow, like, you know, you don't know because you know my parents were never like racist or anything but you know stuff i see in school you know things i hear from my friends like it just perpetuates the stereotypes and this is what that i I believe that did for me as a kid 
where I was just looking at it, I'm like, why are they so angry? You know, it, they're planting that seed in my head that all black men are angry. And I'm glad that, you know, I was able to grow up and just see the, see black people for what they are, like human, and listen to them and their stories of what they have to go through. It's, it's like, just watching this back just le leaves a bad taste in my mouth because I remember what I was thinking back then. Like, why are black people so angry? Like, why do they have to be so angry? Like, slavery's over. Like, no, that's absolutely not the case. And, uh, you know, that's, I, I just didn't like the, like, obviously Vince saying later on, you know, Farouk's playing the race card. Like, that type of stuff just did not, does not hold up well at all. And Anybody and, who says you're playing the race card is probably <laughs> racist. <laughs> right? <laughs> Nobody plays I mean, the race card, bro. <laughs> like, I watched this back, and I'm like, wow, they really perpetuated that stereotype. And there were probably a lot of fans watching that were like, Wow, why are they so angry? Why do they have to be so angry? And that's like I, I could see myself saying that. Like I wasn't, you know, racist, but I could see myself be like, man, I wish you know they weren't so angry. Like I remember in my head right. thinking that, and oh, it was oh. just clearly Vince doing whatever the hell he was doing. I always find that funny. Play the race card like it's a card in a hand. Like I'm playing in life. Like yeah, no, these are experiences right. that people you know live through. Right. You know, these aren't, this ain't like, a, I'm trying to win a game here, and they're like, hey, here's a race card, <laughs> what you gonna do now? Like, no, this ain't poker, bro. Like, this is my life that I've lived through. So if I say something that happened to me, or happened to somebody else, or happened in the past was racist, then this is it. It's not like a card I'm playing to win something. It's not, I don't gain anything, nor does anybody else gain anything for, from experiencing and living through racism. That's not something, that's not a badge of honor. That's yeah. traumatizing. Actually, so mm -hmm. that that always grinds my gears. Oh, here comes the race card. It's like, bro, I'm not. This ain't poker. I'm not playing a hand, bro. Like, it's fine. Like, yeah. just acknowledge the fact that it's, something is racist, and that's it. Exactly. And uh, don't tell me it's not. And listen. Like, if you're a white right. person out there, just listen to people who don't look like you, because you know that's. Well, I I've been doing it, and really, it brings you a lot of perspective as a person. Like, you wouldn't believe the amount of thinking that I've done just by listening to people that don't look like me and seeing, you know, through their lens and their experiences. And it, it's just, I'm, I'm thankful I was brought up the way I was to have that empathy because I just don't know why it's so difficult for some people. And it, it's really frustrating when I see that play out yeah. where especially I have, you know, obviously cousins that just, see the world through their own eyes they don't listen to people that don't look like them and it's it's frustrating right <laughs> awkward transition alert uh <laughs> did Goldust copper feel marlena before this match when he was taking off his robe and stuff uh probably but i missed that, that <laughs> did you miss that oh i, I saw it i was like that. what like cop the feel uh it's his wife though so i guess it's fine i don't know um right yeah i mean but <laughs> It was just a strange Hopefully she was okay with it, but um, right. You I mean, think. they made out yeah. basically in the ring after. So right, uh, but yeah, Goldust is a babyface now, like I said earlier. And Jr. said that you know fans have grown to respect him and his motivations, and you know, I guess they know that he's not gay, so now they can respect him. And it's like what? Yeah, another <laughs> like, thing, like he's not gay, so it's okay. Like it's okay to cheer him. Right. Like what? You know, he has a wife and kids, so you know, yeah. like him now. It's like, Okay. Another thing so, where, you know, I'm in the, they're perpetuating a stereotype to where I'm like, oh, he was just doing the gay stuff to get in the minds of his opponents to 
throw him off track and stuff. Like that's not okay. <laughs> like, and the the stories they're telling me is a, a young wrestling fan. You know, it's just mind blowing right. at times. Right. I mean, again, that's part of the world we were living in back in 1997. Same thing with the nation domination. You know, things have changed slightly, but not a whole lot, unfortunately. Uh, but another one of Jr.'s factoids on this night was that Marlena was a makeup artist and did makeup for Larry King. And I was like, well, I didn't know that at all. But yeah, she did. Oh. And the funny thing was that Jr. was surprised that Larry King didn't try to marry her, which is, I mean, that's honestly like a surprise because if you know anything about Larry King, is that he got married a lot. Actually, he got married to... He had eight marriages to seven different women. <laughs> okay, he married one of those women twice. So um, the crazy thing is, despite having eight marriages to seven different women, he only had five kids. You would have thought he would have had like one with each, maybe. Wow. But no, only five. Um, but of course, Larry King—he's a legend, legendary figure on TV and you know, on CNN and stuff like that. But he died earlier this year at the age of eighty-seven. So. Yeah, one marriage for every decade of his life. Congratulations. <laughs> Rest in peace to Larry King. Was so. that when she was with the WCW or before her WCW? Because he yes. would have been with CNN, CNN and they yes, were based that's, in Atlanta. That's I was just ready to say, she was, you know, Terry Reynolds, of course, uh, who is, I think her maiden name is Boatwright, Terry Boatwright. Uh, she did makeup for Larry King and CNN from 85 to 91. But on weekends, of course, CNN is based out of Atlanta. And, but on weekends, she also did makeup for you know, Jim Crocker Promotions, which eventually turned into World Championship Wrestling, and that was her end to wrestling. How about that? How about that? So, you know, I never really noticed, like, you know, her makeup was always, like, really good. <laughs> I'm not a, and by the way, I'm not, like, a makeup connoisseur, but I think I, I can know a good face when I see one, you know. I think I got a, sort of an eye for that. I'm not a connoisseur, you know. I did, it's funny, I did watch a makeup show, like, a makeup contest show on Netflix, like, Man, it was a while ago now, I think. And I actually enjoyed it. I liked it. I just like watching dope art. But that's just me. But it's like <laughs> people doing like crazy stuff with the makeup. They're not like just basic faces. I'm talking like, you know, painting whole bodies and stuff like that. And different designs and stuff like that. It was pretty cool. I forget the gotcha. name of it at the top of my head. But it was pretty cool. Gotcha. Um, but back to this match in 1987. Uh, really, the finish came when Clarence Mason and D'Lo Brown kind of strolled on over to Marlena and started talking to her. Clarence Mason was trying to hand her a card or something. Oh, no, don't, don't take it easy. I'm trying to hand you a card. I don't know what he's trying to recruit her for. But that made Goldust step out of the ring. He slapped the holy hell out of D'Lo Brown. Pow! Slapped the taste <laughs> out of his mouth. Right? Crush came outside to attack Goldust. They got back in the ring. And out of nowhere, Goldust hit a DDT and won the match. He did. There you go. A DDT. A DDT. Not the curtain call. A DDT. Mm. Wasn't 20, this this, this movie called the curtain call, right? Half time. 22 point lead. Okay. Okay. For the, for okay. the good guys. For the good guys. But, uh, Wasn't Goat Dust Finish yes. called the curtain call, right? Curtain okay. Call, yep. I'm making sure I'm not tripping. Which yeah. is hilarious because I knew uh, they obviously called it the curtain call when he debuted in 95. And then when I. They were talking about the curtain call at MSG. I was like, "What Goldust's finishing move?" Was, <laughs> right. They named it after Goldust's finishing move. I had no idea what the hell a curtain call was. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. But moving on from that, we head backstage to Sid and the Legion of Doom. Thanks a lot, guys. Cut. You know tonight your opponents, the Heart Foundation, are. 
Did I want me to say it? <laughs> I wasn't done yet. Okay. <laughs> I'm marking. And they said we're cutting backstage for an interview with Sid and Legion of Doom, which you could expect features a lot of yelling. Thanks a lot, guys. You know, tonight your opponents, the Heart Foundation, are a very close-knit unit. And the best I know, this is the first time ever the three of you have ever been in a tag team together. But I would imagine there's a lot of revenge factor for the Heart Foundation as far as the Legion of Doom is concerned. Well, revenge <laughs> is a dish best served cold. And Good Lord. And do squat, we're serving the coldest dish in town. You know, you talk about a tight-knit unit. Every fan of the World Wrestling Federation knows there's not a tighter tag team than the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. The one you can worry about is you. Are you going to be there for a tag? Listen, you don't worry about me because when it comes to me, brother, Jesus. I am the man and the ruler of the world. And I don't have They're just to talking to each other like this. It's not voices, please. They're next to each other. Right. <laughs> This is better. Again, they're right next to each other, just screaming in each other's faces. Inside voices, gentlemen, please. Please. This is like straight out of the 80s. <laughs> like or early 90s. But that's that was Legion of Doom. They yelled. And then Sid, he called himself the man and the ruler of the universe or whatever. <laughs> the ruler of the world. Yeah. That was that was like, that you was don't worry about me because I am the man. Like, oh, okay. Like <laughs> All right, <laughs> okay. And the rule of the world. Okay, that, that that means nothing to what we're about to do. But all right, okay. But continue, Nick. I'm sorry. All right, let's go to my twin brother from another mother, Todd Pettengill, standing by with the Heart Foundation. Thank you very much. Obviously, LOD Psycho Sid looking for a little revenge, and this time Bulldog Psycho Sid is in their corner. You know what? We beat Legion of Doom, fur and square, and in your house in April. And tonight, there's no reason why history shouldn't repeat itself right here at the King of the Ring. That's right, Bulldog. Here, hold this, Pettengill. Hold it up high, show all the people. Sure. Now, LOD, you walk out there with the pretty makeup on your faces and your funky little Halloween costume. That doesn't cut it here at the Heart Foundation because we are family. It takes a hell of a lot more than makeup on your faces to beat us. And you got Psycho sitting in your corner. You can't trust each other. How can you even trust him? Right, Anvil? You know, and speaking about Psycho Sid, if you think you're crazy, big man, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> My God. So much maniacal laughter. Who yeah. <laughs> <laughs>, laughs like that in reality? That was a good impression, I gotta say. I, I can't I start it like the way he does so that was a good impression well thank you uh <laughs> i guess can you do um, jim yeah. Hart's laugh as donnie Wahlberg at wrestlemania 10 <laughs> what <laughs> yeah that's how he would do it or something like that that's it's, it's got to be slower pace it's not going to be the same uh cadence it can't be how about jimmy hart donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> Like that's pretty much what he would laugh like, right? That's Jimmy Hart, right? That's, that's a great one. He got throwing the baby in there when he, <laughs> he laughs. That's funny, baby. Got to love the mouth of the south, man. Yeah, got to love the mouth of the south, man. Jimmy Hart, what a great nickname too, Jimmy. The mouth yes. of the south. Yeah, great nickname. 
So after all of that, <laughs> screaming and yelling. The match. <laughs> we get the match. Not the match in the movie or whatever it was where no holds barred. I mean, we probably <laughs> could match. probably have a movie about this. The promos and this match. Pretty much. <laughs> all we holds get The Hart Foundation, Owen Hart, British Bulldog, and Jim Neidhart going against the Legion of Doom and Psycho Sid. It turns out, after the fact, that this would be Sid's final WWE pay-per-view match ever. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that, this is it. The master and the ruler of the world. This is it, man. Well, this was it. Unless I don't, I don't remember him coming back after this in WWE. At least no, he I wasn't don't. there in '98, uh, and he, I don't remember seeing him in WWE again until I think he didn't he show up to beat up Heath Slater one week or something. I don't know. Oh, maybe. Or he was something like that, and he was supposed to be at the 25 year anniversary or something. And I don't think he showed up. It was supposed to be at like a Raw or a SmackDown, maybe the Legends Night, mm. but he he didn't show up. But well, yeah, he he did go against Heath Slater in 2012. Okay, when Heath Slater was getting beat up by everybody, <laughs> so, like Vader included. So all the legends, <laughs> but. One thing before Sid left WWF, one thing I noticed is that his pyro was dope. Yeah. Like his pyro was dope. Sid overall, I just think was dope. <laughs> I don't know why I just <laughs> like Sid a lot. I've always there's always a couple people I like. Scott Steiner's one, Sid is another. And I guess it's the only thing that's really they got in common is that they're both like just crazy type of people. Like just un unpredictable. They might say anything. They're not good promos for the most part. They're just wild, right, and loud, and like I said, unpredictable, unhinged at certain points. But for some reason, people just loved Sid. I wasn't alone in that. People loved cheering Sid. When he came out on this night at King of the Ring 97, people were going crazy for him. He's high-fiving people, and it's like, hey, Sid, psycho Sid is back with this with the real sinister music and stuff like that, and people were liking it. People were digging it. The same thing. Was the end of '96 when he went up against Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series? Madison Square Garden was all about Sid. I I was wrong with him. I was all about Sid. I don't know why Sid was in real life kind of unpredictable. He did some wild stuff like stab up Arn Anderson in WCW. That's the reason why he got to WWF, I believe. Um, but but besides that type of stuff and him bouncing back and forth between the two promotions a lot because he wanted to play softball and stuff like that. As a character. I don't know what it was. I just like Sid. He seemed like he should have been a much bigger star than what he was. Whether that's his own doing, because I'm sure he had something to do with it, or just the promotions he worked for. And the promotions he worked for wanted to push him. It's not like they didn't. They did push him. They put titles on him. He's WWF champion. I think, was he WCW world champion at one point? Yep. So, he won both top promotions and you know, won their titles. He was in main events. He main evented at WrestleMania. So, it wasn't like he wasn't pushed. It's just... Again, Sid being Sid probably ruined a lot of those relationships, but I liked him. I've always been a fan of Sid, and I don't know why, but I, I think I'm not alone in that. I mean, I always thought the Survivor Series 96 was more anti Sean than pro Sid, but then you kind of fast forward and around here, like, why did it, what reason do they have to cheer Sid? There's really no reason, and they're still going crazy for him. So maybe it was a pro Sid crowd. No. In Survivor Series '96, but yeah, I mean, I I yeah. wasn't as big on him as you were. I kind of a, found him annoying because he hurt my guy Sean. Oh so, I didn't no! Like him. Yeah, he hurt the sexy boy. No, he did. 
the best. Hurt the boy toy. <laughs> <laughs> not your boy toy, of course. I'm not gonna say that. But everybody else's boy toy, sexy toy, sexy boy, whatever. I mean, it's not anybody's boy toy. That's how the song went, right? Will you stop? <laughs> I'm just a sexy boy. I'm not your boy toy. <laughs> So he was nobody's boy toy. So let's <laughs> clarify that. He was Sonny, um, Sonny's. But... Oh, well. Hey, pal. <laughs> Goddamn, pal. Hi, pal. Right. Goddamn. <laughs> let's take it easy. <laughs> um, one, thing, one thing I noticed, you know, the match itself was a match. But speaking of Sid, he's the only person alive from this match. Still alive to this day. Mm-hmm. Of course, Owen Hart passed away in 99. I think Bulldog passed away in 2002, I believe. Uh, I think Hawk died in 03. And then uh, Jim Neidhart, he passed away, I think, a couple years ago now. Um, when did Jim Neidhart pass away? He died in 2018. And then in 2020, I believe, or maybe it was 2021, I can't remember now. But Animal, World War Animal died. Uh, so, yeah, Sid is the only one. Yes, World Warrior Animal died in September 2020. So, you know, everybody in his match passed away except Sid. Mm. So, um, but speaking of the Heart Foundation, I got to mention, and, and the British Bulldog, have you seen the Dynamite Kid Dark Side of the Ring and or the Bret Hart Annie documentary? I've watched both, uh, but one time through for each, so... Uh... Th- things don't stick with me as much as they used to, but I did watch both. I I watched them both as well. I thought they were both uh, very good. Dynamite Kid one was, you know, was crazy because he did a lot of crazy <sighs> stuff. Yeah. Um, watching him in his last match. How about Jacques Rougeau? Over in Japan, a bit big uh, part of that one. Right, because he seen him you know, in a while. I've heard that story a thousand times about <laughs> you know him punching Dynamite Kid's teeth out with the roll of quarters or the brass knucks or whatever. Um, which, I mean, hey, that, that they was going back and forth, you know, yeah. for a little while yeah. there. That was a crazy time in, in, in wrestling with people just literally knocking each other's teeth out. Uh, forget the whole Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, where Shawn Michaels' hair got pulled out. No, people was getting knocked <laughs> the hell out uh, in the late 80s. Uh, they wasn't playing games. But um, he, he wasn't the greatest person in the world, Dynamite Kid, but... One thing we gotta give him credit for that he's probably the most influential wrestler of this current generation. Like, I mean, you look going down the line, you can go from Owen Hart to Daniel Bryan to a whole lot of other guys who've taken page, taken pages out of Dynamite Kids' playbook. How about Chris Benoit? They called him the Pegasus yeah. Kid. They pretty much named him in Japan after Dynamite Kid. Yeah. You know, instead of Dynamite, he's Pegasus, right? Or was mm-hmm. it? Yes, Pegasus Kid, right? Yep. Pretty sure I'm. Right, so yeah, quite a few uh, monikers before just sticking with Chris Benoit. Right, yeah, Pegasus Kid, but um, so yeah, very influential in the ring, um, but not a great person outside of the ring. He had his demons. Yet there's a dark side to uh, Dynamite Kid, including being very abusive to his wife, um, and mother of his children. Um, so yeah, it in was front um, in front of his children too. Yeah, which, that that yeah. one particular story was crazy. Yeah. But the Bret Hart Andy documentary, I thought was the best Andy documentary so far. I would tend to agree, and not just because I think, you know, Bret Hart is one of my favorites of all time. But it it was 
interesting. Like, I I came away with it thinking like, what are people going to criticize it about? Just because that's how I watch things nowadays. Uh, even though I enjoyed it, like I'm preparing to like go on Twitter and see people complain about it, and the fact that you know they didn't dwell like it's hard for me to say how to feel for someone else who loses a family member but i don't think we got enough of like how brett dealt with owens passing and bulldogs passing and stuff like that but i think it's by design because i think there's a reason why like brett just simply doesn't talk about it and i don't think it's our business to know like how he coped with certain things and how he came to the decision to you know bury the hatchet with vince mcmahon and stuff like that like you know, you have people out here trying to make decisions for him, being like, well, if my, you know, if I had a brother die working for Vince, I would never talk to him again and stuff like that. But, like, you're not in that situation. So I can't judge Brett for that type of stuff. But what I do judge him for is, like, just blaming Bill Goldberg for everything that went wrong with his career. I just feel like it's kind of unfair to Goldberg because, you know, that kick wasn't the only thing that, you know, hurt. Brett, like he did the figure four ring post spot on Goldberg and smacked his head on the concrete. And I guess you could blame Goldberg for not catching his foot or whatever in time. But there was there were things that happened before that. And I think he just kind of blames Goldberg for everything that went wrong, which, you know, he's not the only one. But at the same time, you know, I just kind of, I don't know. There's certain things that I just kind of look at and I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. But again, I'm not in the situation, I'm not Bret Hart. I do not know what goes through his head. And he had a stroke, too. And I remember him saying before, I don't think they said it in the documentary, but Vince McMahon was one of like the first people to call him in the hospital after he had a stroke. So, I mean, stuff like that goes a long way. They have a business relationship, but they also have a prof- uh, personal relationship. And that's neither... Nobody's... This is, like It's nobody's business, I guess, to need to know exactly how their relationship is. It, it just is what it is. And I think that's the thing I took away the most with the spread heart stuff, because we don't really hear much about like how he dealt with Owen's death. And I, I just think he can keep that to himself. He doesn't need to tell us exactly everything that he did, but everyone loved Owen so much that they almost feel like Brett owes it to the fans to be like, well, how did you cope with Owen's death? You don't really talk about it that much. Like, like, y'all don't need to know like that's his brother his family grew up with him you know he everything that brett tells us about owen we should believe because brett was his brother you know so that's just kind of my thoughts on it yeah that's the thing that kind of stuck out the most of the uh documentary for me i thought it was i thought it hit on a lot of the beats that we expected to hit on i don't think i learned anything from it but I still thought it was very well done. They incorporated his drawings. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, he did a lot of cartoons back in the day, and he had some of them saved, which was cool. To, you know, he had some of them you can show him and stuff like that. Uh, Bret Hart's wife, his current wife, is yeah. a baddie, bro. Yeah. Bret Hart, good for you. That you're yeah. a fine black woman. <laughs> She's like half his age. But I was like, I knew she was black. I forgot what she looked like. No, so I was like, "Damn, she nice." Well, I, I, knew Brett, the age Brett. I, I knew there was a big age difference. I just don't think I knew like what it was. So he, oh, what, yeah, he's Brett in the sixties, really right, or something, and she's in her thirties. Right, she's like thir- late thirties, something like that. But he really is the excellence of execution, yeah. huh? All right. 
Good lord, she is nice. So beautiful woman. So you want the sharp? Yeah. Besides that, <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but I I just liked it because it was like a redemption story. You know, he, he, he went through a lot of stuff, you know, at the end of his time in WWF and then Owen Hart dying. Yeah. And he talked about how he had to let a lot of game, things go in order to move on with his life. And they talked about, even talked about his divorce from his first wife, which I'm sure that was rough to deal with for both of them. But they talked about, like, hey, we just had to let things go. Like, and Brett admitted he wasn't a faithful husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they talked about that a little bit. And now he's with his current wife and they seem very happy. And, he's, you know, it's. His his house now is like the house that his dad built or his dad moved into back in the day in Calgary, you know the big heart house and stuff like that. That was like the central meeting place for everyone in the family, including people you know, distant members, whoever, everybody, wrestlers, everybody was going to Calgary, involved with wrestling, going to the heart house. Now Brett's house is like that for his for his family now. You know the next generation and the current you know the, the his kids and the, and the grandkids and stuff like that. So. It's kind of a good way to bring that whole thing full circle. So I thought, yeah, I thought the A and E documentary was very well done. Uh, one of, if you know, I, I think personally the Brian Pillman Dark Side of the Ring was very well done. Probably the best, you know, of this whole run of documentaries we've had in the last couple months. I think the Brett, the Brian Pillman one's probably the best. But the, I would put the Bret Hart one as like the second best, in my opinion. Yeah, that's just me. Yeah. And I really so. thought I, I dug uh, at the end. They showed his kids, and I remember, you know, his kids were in uh, wrestling with shadows. It's one of my favorite documentaries of all time. We please somebody join our Patreon and request wrestling with shadows because uh, that was a, <laughs> please one of my favorites. And uh, yeah. I really think that like WWF was a family. And just think about the. You know, one year Vince is like trying to get you to stay so you don't go to WCW and you really don't want to go to WCW. There's no reason to not believe what Brett says and what Vince says. No, I believe and, everything you said. Yeah. And then one year I don't later, think Vince has ever denied that neither. Right. I don't think Vince has ever come out and said, oh, I yeah. didn't do that. No, we he did. Because, yeah. see, that's what happened. He offered Brett <laughs> what a 20 year deal, yep. which was worth like, I think it was a 10 million. So it would have been like 500,000 a year. Something like that. I forget the exact. I think it was five hundred thousand a year, or something like that. He would have gotten, and he turned. He took that to turn down the, the deal from WCW, which is like three years. Um, what I think it was three point nine. It's like a couple. Of, he would have made like three million dollars a year from that. So three years, yeah. nine million. Yeah. Uh, so I guess he took WWF deal. It was like, hey, this is longevity. This is my home. This is where I want to be. So I'm gonna take this deal. And then of course Vince reneged on it. After realizing he couldn't, like he couldn't pay for it or for whatever reason. So technically, Vince went out, went back out of the deal. He broke his word on that, but that was only the beginning. <laughs> Breaking his word, there's more to come. Yeah. So and you know, put yourself in Brett's shoes. Like he feel and like they screw him, but he he wants to leave with honor, and he has that in his contract. Literally, like it's creative control. His last ninety days with the company, and you know, just the fact that. He, he dealt with that. It was probably so hard on him and his family and just dealing with that. Like, that type of mental stuff, like, it doesn't matter how much money you make. You're still human. So, as a wrestler and that lifestyle, just, you know, going to WCW, now you're having to deal with the likes of Hulk Hogan and people that you don't really want to work with, but you're getting paid way more money than you ever have, you know, 
and a guy you looked at as a father figure just screwed you, <laughs> you know, in front of you in, in your own country like that. It, it, that causes mental anguish, and I I'm not going to pretend to know what Brett went through in that time, but it probably was a lot. I mean, there's a reason he never showed up on WCW till like six weeks later. You know, they they could have brought him right in. They probably wanted to bring him right in, but he probably needed time to process everything. I mean, any human would yeah. when, when they go through like that. And people could say Brett was a mark for himself all they want, and he took it too seriously, but that's why I love him so much because he seemed to be the only one that really did. And watching but his matches that, made me a fan and made me believe what I was watching was real. I think that authenticity definitely helped him. That's what made him who he was. He was the authentic person. Yeah. He, he didn't yep. feel like a character. But I do think he was... He took himself too seriously. I do think he was a little bit of a mark for himself, and I think I think that kind of hurt him. But because he was so serious and you know he felt real, that's why people identified with him. So it's, right. it worked both ways. It's kind of yep. a double edged sword. Yeah. Um, but moving on from the documentary talk, back to King of the Ring 1997. <laughs> uh, the six man match was a match. I, I really yeah. have don't have much to say about it, except that Owen Hart used a sunset flip to score an upset win over Sid. And I noted that it was like the second sunset flip type of spot to win a match of the night. So, and it was like there's that so botched. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> it was a boring match. I wrote uh, Nightheart no sell the double clothesline too from LOD. Like after the pen, I was like he just he took it and then he just slid out and walked <laughs> back with that one and bulldog like, slid right out. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, and plus, also, why is LOD still whooping his ass in the match? Like they didn't have to, <laughs> like unnecessary. Maybe they didn't hear the bell. I don't know. <laughs> right, they still just like all right. We're still pounding away. Like who cares? Um, we get to move on from that. We get a video package recapping Steve Austin's win at the year, uh, the King of the Ring the year prior, and then we get a Mankind interview with Todd Pettengill, who said that Triple H needed to run him over with a truck in order to keep him down. And their match in the King of the Ring final. Well, spoiler, Triple H didn't need quite that much <laughs> to beat Mankind. Here we are, the finals of the King of the Ring, Mankind versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley. We get more Jim Ross factoids throughout the match, you know, including who trained you know, Triple H. Oh, he's trained by Killer Kowalski. So was China and all that type of stuff. Uh, this match was a pretty good match. But at one point, we got Mankind get his head caught in the ropes. And this caused JR to shout, Mankind is hung. It's like, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Take it easy, JR. <laughs> Phrasing. <laughs> Phrasing. <laughs> Phrasing is important here. We don't know for certain whether Mankind is truly hung. We just know he's hung, you know, he's hanging by the ropes. We don't, look, just phrasing is important. Take it easy. My God. <laughs> right? Uh, at one point, we get Triple H pedigreeing Mankind through a table, through an announce mm. table. Mm. And Vince and JR lost their headsets as a result. Uh, Mankind still, you know, found a way to get up and try to get back into the ring. Because at this, you know, like I said, he said, you know, Triple H needed more than that. He needed a truck, not a pedigree through the table. But while he's getting himself back into the ring, China hit him with the scepter across his back. Despite all that, Mankind still kicked out of the ensuing pen attempt. <laughs> but 
Hunter Harris Helmsley hit yet another pedigree to finally keep Mankind down for a three count and to, by doing so, became the 1997 King of the Ring. It's a long time coming for Hunter Harris Helmsley. He finally went from the outhouse back to the penthouse where he was before. <laughs> and before he went from the penthouse to the outhouse, now he's back in the penthouse, see. And now he is the king of the ring. It came a year later, but it happened. And of course, because China interfered, JR calls China a Jezebel because that's just like his go to thing for women he does not like. <laughs> right? But after the match, China orders Todd Pettengill to get into the ring. Well, that's uncalled for. Tasteless. Absolutely tasteless. What did she do? She threw him in the ring. Get out of here, China. Threw him in the ring. Get out of here with that. That, according to JR, that was a Jezebel move, I guess. It was tasteless. Um, tasteless, yeah. How dare she? Mess with my guy, but, Todd. <laughs> Hunter Hearst Helmsley demands Todd Pettengill put on his robe, which he eventually just took from him, or China took from him and put it on Triple H. And then he demanded that Todd Pettengill hand it in the crown. You know, signifying that he's the king of the ring. Instead of putting the crown on, though, Triple H just bashed Mick Foley upside the head with it <laughs> and left. <laughs> yeah. As your 1997 king of the ring. But while they were leaving, Mankind made it back to his feet and was crawling to the to the back and then eventually made it back to his feet and walked out of the arena. So, it, you know, Mankind was just, he was just a guy who could take a beating. That's what they was pretty much trying to get over here. And it, and it worked as far as endearing him more to the crowd because yeah. we see he's, you know, in a year or so, he's one of the biggest baby faces they have. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the King of the Ring final? Uh, is WWF for sale? Uh, like, right now? Mm. Because I wonder if Triple H would buy it. Has Hillsley ever tried to buy the WWF? I don't believe so. It's not for sale, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Vince just laughs it off. <laughs> Vince cackle, man. He's like, you don't know my plan, though. No. Because <laughs> in about 20-some-odd years, it might be. <laughs> that's my that plan. That's, that's so the long funny. game. That's just so funny to me. That's a long-term plan. I'm not going to let Triple H buy it. But he might be able to run it one day. Who knows? <laughs> Different from buying it. Is is all part of the plan, you know? So by the way, this, this is, is from awkwardly uh, laughing it off. This is from Wikipedia regarding the whole Triple H getting back at the tournament thing, and we know Wikipedia doesn't lie. But uh, so <laughs> Triple H was eliminated, obviously. Uh, after Ahmed Johnson, he got DQ'd, right? So on another episode of Raw. He got a spot in the tournament because he said he was not properly instructed before his match with Ahmed Johnson and threatened to sue the WWF with legal action. So <laughs> he replaced Vader, but I don't know if they told us Vader was injured or just said they took Vader out and he's uh, replacing him, but Vader was actually injured in real life with, uh, you know, he got injured in the match with Ken Shamrock at the May in your house, apparently. But. Uh, yeah, that's when Triple H was like back into the fold. So I I wonder what this whole in, instruction instructed before the match 
<laughs> like whole thing came from, but mm. weird. Sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Sounds dumb. You know what else is dumb? At least what something that you know WWE does nowadays that's really dumb. It's pairing. It's doing the whole unlikely or reluctant tag team partner storyline. They do it time and time again. But back in 1997, when they did it with Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin, it was like it, brand ooh, new. It, it had never been ass. done. This kicked ass right. to me. <laughs> and we get a whole kind of retelling of this story through this video package that came after the Mankind match and Triple H match, talking about how the you know they were reluctant tag team partners, but then it became. Uh, tag team champions, and the whole thing is like, oh, can they coexist? You know, all that. But like I said, WWF, WWE, has repeated the story time, storyline, time and time and time and time and time again. They repeated it with Shawn Michaels. You remember <laughs> WrestleMania 23? Yep. When he was going into the main event of WrestleMania against John Cena? Mm-hmm. One little thing that people might forget is that they were the Raw, they were the, what, the world tag team champions at that yep. point, I guess. They were on Raw, but they weren't the Raw Tag Team Champions. They were the World Tag Team Champions. With the cool titles. Right? Yeah, they were, they were much better than the ones they had today. Okay? But they were Tag Team Champions going into that match. And they were in the main event of WrestleMania going against each other. But they've done it so many times, including earlier this year with Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. They were going for the, the, the women's tag titles. I think Rhea Ripley and Oscar have been tag team partners this year. And it's always like, well, can they coexist? Who gives a damn, bro? Like, I don't care. I don't watch wrestling to see everyone get along. Like, why Why are we doing this over and over and over again? And why well, can they match? coexist? Like, stop with the match right. stuff. Like, We get it, bro. Like, just do something else. <laughs> and I love they always say the same thing. But can they coexist? I don't care. <laughs> I watch the show to see... Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks fight each other. Obviously, you're going to save her for WrestleMania. But in the meantime, they don't have to be friends at all. I don't care if they coexist. <laughs> I'm watching WrestleMania to see them fight each other. It's just so stale. and for- It's just... Yeah. It's just lazy. Yeah. Whatever they just... It's, it's like, like they feel like they're going to recreate this specific storyline. It's like... And they bro, never do. No. <laughs> Also, it especially happens a lot when when either the both characters are baby faces. They do that a lot. It's like, well, we can't think of a way to get them to dislike each other. Let's put them in tag team matches and just have them be dysfunctional. Okay. <laughs> no, but in 1997, with Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin, it worked because it's the first time. It's the first time tag team partners, tag team champions... We're going one on one on a pay per view, so it was novel back then. It is not novel today. So, yeah, with the uh, <sighs> so two, two big baby faces too. It's Shawn Michaels' first match back since the Royal Rumble. This was. Um, uh, he might have had a match after it, but yeah, this was his first match back. Uh, oh, he, they won the tag titles. T- oh, you know what? Yeah, well, his first pay per view. There, I'm but not hey. wrong. His first pay per view match. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so, they went, I'm pretty sure they had a match say, before this. Literally, like I, I knew that too. Ah, <laughs> I was like on the podcast. Make sure you say first pay per view match, and of course, I don't. I'm pretty but, sure uh, he had a match before this because they won the tag titles. <laughs> 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 uh, but 
but That's you know, maybe great. he did work in out of the match. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe Steve Austin <laughs> won it by himself. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but we get Bret Hart coming down on coming down to the ring because he's supposed to join Vince McMahon and Jim Ross on commentary, but he grabbed a microphone from Todd Pettengill to cut a promo. Todd, get out of here, Todd Pettengill. Don't you learn? <laughs> I'm going to snatch yeah, the microphone like, out of hand. They were like, please give me the microphone, Todd. And Todd was like, okay. <laughs> no, he snatched it out of his hands. <laughs> Told him to scram, skedaddle. Right? I got to do Todd like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was mean, I guess. <laughs> Todd didn't stand up for himself. He's just there to get paid. <laughs> hey, man. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Get paid. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that at all. But Bret Hart gets in the microphone and talks about how he's coming back because he was hurt, but he's coming back. And in fact, he's coming back at the Canadian Stampede the next month, which we will cover one day as a deep dive. Please believe, because that main event is worth covering on its own. But he's coming back at the Canadian Stampede in Calgary, which is home of the Stampede event, which is a big deal in Calgary. It's the reason why the CFL team is called the Calgary Stampeders. Um, but he's coming back at the event. And that he was laying down a challenge to five wrestlers to go up against the Hart Foundation. Of course, at this point, the Hart Foundation consisted of Bret Hart. Not just five Owen wrestlers. Hart. Five American wrestlers. Right. That's, that's the thing. Five Americans. But to go up against himself, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, British Bulldog, Jim Neidhart, and Brian Pillman, who was also, of course, in the Hart Foundation. Because he also wrestled in Calgary. That's how he got in, you know, he, he wrestled, he worked, he played, I should say, for the Calgary Stampeders, who I just mentioned, of the CFL, and that's how he got connected in Calgary to Cal- to Stampede Wrestling. Again, that word again, Stampede, big deal out in Calgary. Stampede Wrestling, Calgary Stampeders, you know, Canadian Stampede, it, it all, it all ties together, so. Stadium Stampede. Um, so, yeah. Oh, wait, no, never mind. <laughs> different, yeah, different thing, different thing. I don't know why they call it a stampede when it's not in Calgary. There's no horses involved. Well, they had a horse involved last year, right? I don't remember, honestly. I could have saw somebody's riding a horse. Was it Adam Page riding a horse or something? Uh, <laughs> probably. I forgot to swear that happened. But, yeah, that's weird. Why did they call it a stampede? Never thought about that. Just because they had to make it alliterate, I guess. Stadium. I guess. They did it. Stuh. It isn't Calgary. I would get it. But, okay. Whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, we get that promo, and then Bret Hart walks over to the announce table because he's supposed to join the announce team. But, Jared Briscoe and other officials are like, nope, you got to leave. Oh, you and your homies all wearing the leather jackets, which are dope, by the way. The, the Hart Foundation leather jackets were dope. Let's just be honest, right? Yes, yes. But y'all, y'all got to leave. All right? Y'all got to go. And I think all of them, I'm pretty sure all of them wrestled in Calgary in Stampede Wrestling. Yeah, so I know of that for certain because they talked about that in the um, Dynamite Kid documentary that Bulldog was also there as well. And so it's not hard. But, um, of course, Owen did as well. And I just mentioned that Brian Pillman uh, was there at one point too. But Jared Briscoe came down, told everybody, all the Hart Foundation to leave. And Bret Hart was like, oh, this is freedom of speech. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about there? You just talked to the whole world for like five minutes. Now all of a sudden you're declining freedom of speech. Okay, so they kicked him out. <laughs> yeah. That's the funniest thing. It's like, but there's no headsets. They're just gonna take it from Vince. 
And then he's like, my freedom of speech. It's like, man, he just took it from Vince. What about his freedom of speech? <laughs> Bret Hart is also a heel. so he Yeah, just it, it made me laugh because it, he's still like anti-America, but he he's like citing American constitution. <laughs> <laughs> freedom of speech, right? So once they're leaving, we then go backstage to Doc Hendricks interviewing Steve Austin. Doc, can you hear us? I sure can, Ben. Thanks a lot. Stone Cold, to state the obvious, Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation are probably hoping you and Shawn Michaels annihilate each other, take each other out of the mix, so to speak. I don't think it's any secret that you and Shawn Michaels are not best friends, probably won't ever be best friends, but you are WWF Tag Team Champions. That is putting green in your jeans, and I know you want to prove a personal point to each other, but where do you draw green the line in your jeans? Or hurting each other and hurting your chances of staying WWF Tag Don't hurt each other. In my opinion, the point has already been proved. Shawn Michaels knows that I am indeed the captain of the tag team. You're damn right <laughs> you make more money if you got some belts around your waist. I won't deny that fact. Do I want to go out there and cripple Shawn Michaels? you damn right. No on second thought, I don't want to do that because I'll keep him around to keep the belts around our waist. But Shawn Michaels, you it. hear this. Yeah. You force so me to turn up the violence factor. You can damn well bet I'll do it. And that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold said so. Alright. Like, so perfect. Great promo. But the logic makes perfect sense. And it's yes. a logic that just doesn't get used anymore. And that it, if you are a champion of any kind, you make more money. So Steve Austin, he used the logic. Like, hey, I'm making money with Shawn Michaels. So yeah, I want to beat him, but I don't want to cripple him. <laughs> so because we're the champs. Makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Me too. So, right. So after this promo, here comes probably the coolest part of the show, in my opinion. Because Austin walks through the hallway, tosses his foam cup down for some reason. I don't know why he did that. That's littering. <laughs> don't do that. But it, he walks through the hallway and into the gorilla position which is at the same time, the Hart Foundation is still arguing with a bunch of officials. <laughs> right? Perfect. And of course, Bret Hart and Steve Austin, sworn enemies, which means the Hart Foundation doesn't like Steve Austin either. He walks up, Steve Austin that is, walks up to see all the commotion, and he starts talking trash and jawing with, of course, Brian Pillman there too. He just beat up Brian yeah. Pillman earlier in the show, <laughs> gave him a swirly, like he's in high school again. And he's talking trash to Brian Pillman. He's like, oh yeah, I'll see y'all later. I'll come back. You know, I'll whoop your ass when I come back. You know what I'm saying? And the officials are in between them, and Austin's talking trash. And he goes from there, walks out through the curtain, his music hits, boom, he's in the ring. One thing I noticed, though, was that from the time Steve Austin hit that hallway to the time he walked through the curtain was all one shot. And I loved it because it was like everything was happening in real time. We just follow Steve Austin. And just so happened, he's also there at the same time as the Hart Foundation. And it was just like, this is the stuff I love that WWE or a lot of wrestling promotions just don't do anymore, specifically WWE. Things are just happening. Things are happening in a living, breathing world. Things are so regimented and formulaic and segmented that you, this wouldn't happen today. They wouldn't have a guy cut a promo and then walk through and bump into some other people and then walk out through the curtain all in one shot. Yeah. There'd be, there'd be a million cuts. There'd be The camera be shaking. Everybody would be looking at the camera somehow, like they'd be facing the camera, angled towards the camera. That wasn't what was happening here. It was just stuff was just happening. 
Austin had his back to the camera for a good portion of it. He wasn't turning and looking at the camera. He was he wasn't angled toward the camera. He was looking at the Hart Foundation and talking trash to them, right? Mm-hmm. Not angled, straight on. And then he just walks out. And I was like, damn, that was dope. That was, I thought that was brilliantly produced by WWF. It just felt real. <laughs> I yeah. just loved and it. You saw when they finally switched that shot to the front of him coming down the aisle, you saw the camera be- cameraman behind him just kind of move off to the side. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, wh- why in today's WWE do we not want the cameraman to be in the shot? You know, like, I don't understand that, and I never will. Like, it's it made it so much better, and that's exactly right. And I didn't even notice that. And it's something that I probably should have because I hate WWE camera work nowadays, uh, like a lot of people do. And you would think I would have no- noticed that. I- the one thing I did notice is they kind of use, like, a wide-angle lens with a lot of the action in the ring that we didn't see much of in that era where the cameraman in the, well, at ringside was shooting the ring, but you saw the entire ring. And you saw, like, the action taking place inside the entire ring before they would, like, switch angles and stuff. And I don't think we had that, you know, in other pay-per-views. I don't remember that angle being used that much. So I think they were tinkering a little bit with this pay-per-view because that's what I remember about this pay-per-view a lot is those angles in the ring. But that's a good point. Like, that one shot with Austin, I didn't even think about until you you mentioned it yeah i always love like one shots like that i'm sure they're not easy to do i'm sure it takes a lot of rehearsal and like movies at least this was not i don't think they rehearsed it's just they just did it one take jake style right but in movies there's so many moving parts that might happen especially if there's a lot of background characters and extras and stuff like that i'm sure that takes a lot of rehearsals because you got to get it in one shot there's no cutting no editing around you know um, a continuity error or mistake or nothing like that that's a lot of work, but you see it in like I saw in like Creed, I believe. I think it was the first one in one of his fights. It was a long portion of one of his fights that was one shot, right? And mm-hmm. the, the epic one is like Goodfellas when he takes uh, Karen out to dinner for the first time. I <laughs> like saying that's how you said her name, Karen, <laughs> right? Uh, Tommy um, uh, Henry Hill, not Tommy Henry Hill. Um, but he takes out to dinner at the fancy restaurant. Maybe not for the first time, but it was like one of their first times. It was early on in their relationship. And he goes through the back door because, you know, he has a special entrance because he's connected. Right. He's, with the, he's, he's, a, he's a wise guy. Um, so he goes through the back door and he goes through all these back hallways and does have to wait in line like everybody else. Goes through the back hallways, saying hi to everybody, walks through the kitchen and then finally walks into the main dining room, walks past people waiting for their table, walks past them. And you hear him go, hey, how, did, how come he gets to jump in line? He walks into the dining area. They bring out a whole table for him. Like, sit down in the middle of the dining room. Boom. Bring a lamp out, chairs. Boom. The whole nine. Set it up just for him. And he sits down. And now all of those shots, all, all, all that whole scene, I should say, was one shot. It was incredible. So, I always like when I see it, especially when it's well done. I, I appreciated it here from WWF. I would like to see it more often. Uh, especially when there's other things happening. You know, we could have just followed Steve Austin and that would have been it. Instead, we saw him walking and just so happened Heart Foundation still coming out. He's drawing with them. It's just a nice little layer to Steve Austin's character. Just, you know, he's talking trash and they hate him. And then he walks out to mute the glass breaks. Boom, he hits the ring. I thought it was dope. Yeah. I thought it was super dope. Like I said, in that time period today, they probably would have cut like 45 times. <laughs> <laughs> 
and then the camera would have been shaking and all this stuff. But instead, one clean shot all the way pretty much to, you know, when he made his entrance. I thought it was dope. So, uh, kudos to WWE for that one. Get back to point lead after like three. That, please. What's that? 18 point lead after three. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate ben, the updates. Ben Simmons was getting his knee worked on a little bit. Oh! Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it's not serious. <laughs> all right. All right. He wasn't wincing or anything, but yeah, he's on the bench, and they were just kind of like rotating it and trying okay. to. Yeah. Because so. once they're in the locker room, that's when I start getting worried. But if he's still on the yeah. bench, I'm good. You know? We'll see what happens right. when they come back from the commercial. So. Yeah. You come back. Well, after Steve Austin makes his entrance, Shawn Michaels does his interview. Nothing special here. But then we get to the match. We get to the match itself. Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, the World Tag Team Champions, going one-on-one on one against each other. First time this happened on pay-per-view. But an interesting thing happened early on in this match. Yeah. It's very interesting. And that a special Olympian with Down syndrome apparently fell over the guardrail cheering for Shawn Michaels. This person was, this, this man was a Shawn Michaels fan. Big Shawn Michaels fan. Fell over the guardrail and like security like swooped in. I mean, and I don't really blame him. Like you want to protect everybody involved in the ring. So you make sure like, oh, whoa, what's going on here? They want, they want to, their insect is to protect, right? Anybody jumping over the guardrail has to get like kind of dealt with, but Shawn Michaels, which was like very nice of him, went over to check on him. Right? Oh, hey, you good? You're, you're okay? All right, cool. It's funny though, and that while Shawn Michaels was doing this, Austin just didn't give a damn. Just ran over and started punching Shawn Michaels while he's checking on the Special Olympian, right? And they start fighting, and then after they mix it up a little bit, Shawn Michaels goes back over to the Special Olympian and made sure he was okay. Like he told security, "No, don't worry, I got him." And kind of led him away, and to his caregivers, his caretakers came over and helped him, you know, out of the arena. And he was, you know, happy and cheering for Shawn Michaels and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was Shawn Michaels and referee Tim White too. So they both was like, "Hey, you good? Like, okay, like that's cool. Let's make sure you're okay." Like, I thought that was very nice of them. Like, I was kind of like touched by that. I was like, "Wow!" Like yeah. Shawn Michaels might have been an asshole, <laughs> like <laughs> big asshole. Um, but he really made sure, went out of his way, live on pay-per-view, in a big match against Steve Austin, to make sure this kid was okay. Yeah. And, and he goes, he's, you know, he's special needs. So, let's, let's not have security swoop in on him and tackle him. You know, now, and it's, it's, and it's kind of, to kind of broaden the scope a little bit, it's something that we need to do more, be more mindful of in society. Because a lot of times people have the police called on them. Because, you know, they're doing something, you know, whatever. People call the police on them. But it turns out they're special needs. They need special attention. They don't need the police to come in and just physically confront them. Right. You know, put them to the ground, handcuff them, throw them to the back of a police car, throw them in the back of a police car. Because this person might be special needs that, that they may not know how to calm down in that moment. You know what I'm saying? And that's when, because you're not calming down, the cops escalate. Right? Mm-hmm. But we don't take that to account. A lot of times in our society, cops come in, they're, they're taught, they're trained to stamp out the situation, end it, right? And you take these measures to end it. But with, the society doesn't really take into account people with mental health issues, right? And it doesn't necessarily even mean special needs. People might have anxiety. People might have bipolar disorder, something like that. It's just not taken into account a lot of times in our society. So I think that's something we're still not 
we're not where we need to be uh, in 2021 to really like, hey, let's let's take care of this person and not just dis like quickly disarm them in, in any sort of physical way. And I thought that Shawn Michaels and Tim White did the right thing. I was like, hey, 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 you know, hey, you okay? You okay? Good, good. Hey, caretaker comes in. All right, we lead him off to the back. He's fine. And nothing happens to him. He's not harmed in any way, which probably could have happened if security, if it was security, you know, only doing it, probably would have tackled him, subdued him, handcuffed him, whatever. This way, nothing happened to him. So I thought that was pretty dope, actually. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I grew, grew up around uh, special needs kids, but at the time, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like looked at the way it is now where, like, I think it's better now, obviously. And the fact that I've been in that, in education and working with special needs kids and really understanding where the traitors come from and how to read it and how to help. You know, if I see it happen in public to someone I don't even know and being able to understand like what I could do to help the situation uh, instead of exacerbate it uh, has really, you know, opened my eyes a lot to, uh, you know, people with special needs where, you know, if they're having a meltdown or whatever, it doesn't mean they're always going to get violent. It doesn't mean they're going to do something bad. It just means they need uh, to get back in, in that routine or that headspace of where they're they feel okay again and there's ways to get them back there now that you know we didn't really think of back then uh, even as a kid you know i had classmates that were kind of like that but they were they didn't really separate them at that time so they were in the same class we were and it was kind of normal like we were okay and the kids today are really good with you know their peers uh, that when they recognize, you know, special needs and stuff, and they try and help when they can and stuff like that. But also knowing, you know, when to call for help if they can't, you know, obviously help that person. So it's really opened my eyes the last few years being in education and seeing that up close every single day and being able to help and being able to uh, notice and react to the difficulties they face uh, with certain things. And obviously, this Special Olympian that, you know, they called him a Special Olympian. And I tried to look him up, and I was going to give him a shout-out, but I could not find uh, this person's name. I even reached out to uh, David Bixon's man, who's pretty good with the research in wrestling history. And he did not know the name of this, you know, person. Uh, but if you know, clearly... If Bix don't know it, then it's, yeah. just, it's lost in the ether. Right, right. <laughs> Bix would know. Like, I, I just wanted to... Because, you know, we saw when... You know, Shawn Michaels went back to him. They were trying, security was like literally trying to drag him out. So Shawn was like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. You know, he took him and started walking him back. And I think, I'm assuming that was his mom that ran up the aisle to be with him and walk him uh -huh. to the back. And like, that's how things should be handled like that. Just not trying to drag them away. And, you know, whatever, especially when you realize, like, I, 1997, absolutely different. Uh, research wasn't there, I guess, and enough for right. the security guards to understand. Yeah, exactly. And even like a the, security the awareness of now. like people, the awareness of people on the spectrum, the autism spectrum, right. was way higher than what it was back in 97. Right. You know, and people are, I think, more aware of, especially people on the spectrum nowadays than what they were back 20 some odd years ago. It's just yeah. people didn't even know what that was. A lot of some people what autism was, but uh, you know, again. Yeah. Glad that this wasn't one of those situations where 
like you said, somebody with either with mental health issues, whether it's like bipolar or anxiety or panic attack, you know, something like that, or special needs, uh, this didn't ex- be, like you said, exasperated or worsened by security just jumping and dragging them away and all this and that. That's not going to help this person. This person's not going to no. uh, calm down, you know, and, and be in a good space. You want this person to feel safe and feel comfortable and then when that happens, all of a sudden, there's no physical, you know, assault, you know, happen. You know, nobody's getting hurt, hurt, nobody's getting harmed. So, yeah. And this is uh, how carny the wrestling business is. Um, there were actually people that thought it was staged to highlight, hey, Shawn Michaels is a good person, you know, because he was such a nightmare backstage. And people in the business knew, like, Shawn Michaels was, you know, a head case to deal with. And I don't they, know how you they, stage that they, with they a person legit, with Down syndrome. There were people legit thought that it was staged just to highlight Shawn Michaels. Hey, he's a good guy. Like, kind of. Do people even know that he was back, like like the way he was backstage? I don't think the the audience knew that. Like, you know, I don't think they knew that. So, right, I mean, and I, I don't know how you stage so, that with yeah. a person. Like I said, a person with Down syndrome. How do you stage that? Like, I don't uh-huh. know how you do that. And also, Tim White got involved too. It wasn't like it was just Shawn Michaels. Tim White also yeah. was like, hey, hey, you know, we're good. Like, hey, yeah. calm down. Like, we're good. Let's go Let's go this way. Like, you know. So, again, that was just, that was something like, oh, that's, that was a good, I thought that was handled well by Shawn Michaels and Tim White. Security, they did their jobs, but I just wish that people like that could be trained different when you know this person is special needs. Like, it's not like this, I think he was introduced to the crowd or something like that at one point. So, he was like a special guest, you know, for WWE, I think. So, like, hey, he's, you know, we know he's special needs. Let's not swoop in and just tackle him. It wasn't like he should, I don't think, at least I didn't see, maybe he was trying to attack Steve Austin, something like that, which you don't want to happen. Well, I mean, he, So, you uh, make he, sure that doesn't happen. That's kind of, he was in the ring. He was trying to get out of his feet or trying to get in the ring. Ah, like, that's, okay. That's one of the first things. Okay. That was right after. So, you make sure... Right after Austin gave him the fingers, you know, he, he walks away, right. and you, that's when you saw that whole thing start to take place. Right. So, you know, you make sure that doesn't happen, but after that, right, right. you know, make sure Steve Austin doesn't get hurt. Mm-hmm. But after that, okay, let's calm the situation down, you know, and make sure nobody gets hurt. That's what you should, you should do. But it's always like with police and even like security, it's like force. Yeah. Some type of force. Yeah. Not like care. That's all they know. Like, it's like it's all they knew. Right. right. That's what they're trained to they, do. They need to include like if I get training on noticing triggers and say, uh, signs and special needs that can be addressed, so should they. Right. Just add to their training. Right. And hopefully that happens, you know, moving yeah. forward. If it's not happening now, hopefully right. it is tomorrow. Because you know. it could save some lives, man. Like, it could really save yeah. some lives. Honestly, yeah. people have died in these situations. Mm-hmm. And it could really, like I said, save some lives and prevent trauma. Even if they don't die, there could be traumatic experiences for people involved. And we don't need that. The less trauma, the better. And the less death, the better, obviously. It's unnecessary yeah. death, you know. So, uh, yeah, that was something that definitely stuck out to me early on in this match. Um, once that was over... Shawn Michaels and Austin got back into it. At one point, Austin mocked Shawn Michaels' pose, which I thought was pretty funny. You know, he did um, that in the Royal Rumble, too, in 96, as the ringmaster. <laughs> he did? I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, man. 
that that's what made me laugh it was like a throwback to me you know just thinking how different the ringmaster in january 96 was to stone cold steve austin in june 97 doing the same thing it just it was so funny like just remembering the fact that he did that because he like got in the ring and i guess hit Shawn michaels and then did the pose or whatever as the ringmaster <laughs> during the royal rubble it was it cracked that's me up. yeah that's funny um this match was very good though this match was very good. This match was what they wanted the WrestleMania 14 to be. It would have it would have would have been if Shawn Michaels wasn't hurt. And Austin, but obviously, this was before his pile driver. That's true. That's true too. Yes, that's 100 percent facts. Um, but also, the dynamics would have been different because Steve Austin by this point was a full fledged by 98 was a full fledged babyface. Yeah. He wasn't just getting cheered and announcers going, "I don't know why they like him." Because <laughs> <laughs> saying. I don't know why, but the people love him. The, the worse he is, the more he cheats, the more people like him. You know, stuff like that. By 98, he was a full-fledged babyface. Even though he was still the anti-hero, but he was definitely... They wasn't saying... We don't know why people like him at that point. Shawn Michaels, on the other hand, was a full-fledged heel. Not the babyface sort of tweener that he was here in 97. Right? Because the, the, the Bret Hart stuff was serious. <laughs> like, yeah. that wasn't... Yeah. He wasn't the babyface with that stuff. Um... So, like I said, babyface for the most part, but still has some heel tendencies to him. So, the dynamic would have been different, but this was what, you know, Shawn Michaels was in very good health, even though he had the knee thing. That's the reason why he lost his smile and everything. <laughs> but Steve Austin, like you said, hadn't had the, the power driver that broke his neck yet, and hadn't really had the, the, the terrible knee injuries yet, too. He, you know, he wasn't hampered by that at all, at least in 97, you know, at least not yet. Uh, so they were both in really good shape and could go. And this match was great, in my opinion. Best match of the night, easily. Yeah. This match basically was the pay-per-view for me. Especially when, you know, when they started the promotion for Kicking the Ring, it was supposed to be Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. And I was like, oh, here we go. And obviously Bret was too hurt, couldn't come back in time. So they pivoted to Shawn Michaels and Austin. But... You know, the I think it was even better because what could they have done with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels at King of the Ring? You know, like it was not even a I top. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah their fifth pay per view, but it's Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Like that's another WrestleMania, and maybe they wanted because they got uh, like couldn't do it at, earlier that year. They wanted to do it right away, but I mean, they wound up doing it in the Survivor Series. But uh, you know, there it was funny like four. The other four Hart Foundation members were supposed to be uh, uh, handcuffed to the ring post uh, during that match. They had it all laid out, and then I think they changed it what two a week or two before. So, uh, but really, I I liked this more because they did the whole tag team angle with the titles. They added the titles uh, that really grabbed me at this point because I had never seen it before. Like you said before, this is the first time they really did it, and I loved it. Yeah, this was dope. The story was dope because it's the first time WWE <laughs> has had done it. Uh, like I said, they abused it ever since. Um, and the match turned out great. Even the finish kind of made sense, even though they was just knocking out referees. <laughs> you know, at one point, uh, you know, Austin hit the stunner. But what, how, how was it? Austin, he, hits the, he, he stuns the referee. That's what he did, right? Because he knocked yeah. over the official. Well, yeah, he, knocked, he, he knocks the official out over yeah. by mistake. Then he hits Shawn Michaels with the stunner, but the referee was still down. Austin picks up the referee, puts him with the stunner. 
<laughs> well, hits him with the stunner, right? <laughs> but after he hit him with the stunner, he walked into Sweet Chin music from Shawn Michaels. So a refer- second referee comes in. Instead of counting Shawn Michaels' penitent, because Shawn Michaels is covering Steve Austin, right? Like they do every single other match. <laughs> Right. Instead in. of he ran right, he ran right by the pin attempt and just checked on Earl Hebner. Was it Earl Hebner? Right. Oh, Tim White. It was Tim White. Yes, of course. I just mentioned it earlier. It's Tim White. Right. <laughs> Should have been Earl. <laughs> Stun his ass. No. Oh, okay. That's fair. That's fair. But <laughs> so the second referee checks on Tim White. Shawn Michaels is like, "Hey, man, I'm over here pinning somebody. You should be counting. That's what referees do. You count. All right. No matter what. <laughs> so." Take out his frustrations. Shawn Michaels super kicks the second referee, and I got put it down here. He deserved it because he was stupid. What did you <laughs> he doing? Did. He did. So we got two referees down. Each guy knocked out a referee. Then Earl Hebner comes out and disqualifies both Austin and Michaels. So we got a double disqualification here, rightfully so. They can't just can't just beat up referees. But then <laughs> it's funny. Austin tried to hit. Shawn Michaels with the belt, with the tag team belt after the match. (laughs) (laughs) It's like he didn't want to hurt him, but then he couldn't help himself. I got to hit him with the belt. And then they tried to hit each other with the belts. They each had their tag team belts in their hands and going to hit each other with them. And then it's like, all right, no, let's chill. Let's chill. You know, because we're tag team partners, right? We're tag team champions. We're in this together, right? And they let the ring together. And they're arguing with each other. They're like, all right, you go. No, no, you go. I'm like, no, I'm not going to let you walk behind me. You go. So, I thought that was kind of funny, it and it worked. Everything like their characters. Shawn Michaels was a little had a little more attitude to him at this point, but he's still like Shawn Michaels. He's not DX Shawn Michaels yet, but he was going up against Austin, who at the time I really didn't like as a face. I was like, why are why do people like him? He's so fresh, like he's so mean, and he's he doesn't care about Shawn Michaels, who's supposed to be like the guy, like my guy. And I remember, like, I didn't warm up to Austin until, like, SummerSlam. Like, after the Shawn Michaels stuff, because I didn't want to have to, like, pick a side or something. So, like, Canadian Stampede happened. Uh, Shawn Michaels was hurt again, I think, after this. So, he wasn't in Canadian Stampede. So, I could, like, focus on Austin and be like, okay. And the fact that, you know, Bret Hart was a heel in America. And Austin was, like, leading the Americans, even though he didn't care, like, who was his partners. Uh then I was on the Austin bandwagon at that point, like 100%. But here, I was just kind of like, man, why you got to be mean to Shawn Michaels? <laughs> yeah, this is this is great, though. I thought this was dope. It's too bad it didn't lead to a, a lot more between these two. I thought this yeah. had potential. Yeah. And it abruptly ended when they had to drop the titles. But this had some potential. Now, of course, they got a WrestleMania main event out of it. But the dynamics are totally different. Shawn Michaels was in bad shape physically, probably in worse shape mentally than he was here in 97. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was just a lot different at that point. But on this night, I thought everything worked. Everything clicked. So kudos to Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin. Which, I mean, what, what, you, what would you expect from these two? Like, these two are the best of all, two of the best of all time. Yeah. Shawn Michaels in the ring, you know, is top three or four at best ever. And then Steve Austin... At this point, was great in the ring. People forget how good Steve Austin was in the ring before that neck injury. He was among the best in the world. And then the neck injury happened. He changed up his style. So, <sighs> Still could pop a crowd. So that's what they needed. Yeah. <laughs> he could still talk. Still had that mouth. He could talk. And he could still do enough 
to have still really good matches too. It wasn't like Steve Austin's out here having bad matches after the yeah. neck injury. He was still tearing up the you know tearing up the show. You know what I'm saying? You know, I wrote, I wrote in my notes uh, before they walk up the aisle together. Uh, they get it was like after I guess they were trying to hit each other, and Sean asked him why he stunned the ref, and Austin was like, he's a jackass. And so I was like, everyone here is a jackass. So it's like, at least they agree on that. At least they can agree right. on that. They can agree on that. That's what they, this had, this had potential. Yeah. It was almost like, it was weird. Like I got like, kind of like lethal weapons, lethal weapon vibes from it. You ever seen lethal weapon? No. Oh God. Lethal weapon classic. But, Riggs and Murtaugh always argue with each other, but there's some things they, they get on the same page about. But for the most part, they're bickering, especially in the first Lethal Weapon. They're bickering all the time. They were like the reluctant partners. You know, you've seen this in movies a lot over the years. Yeah. Uh, Rush Hour, you know, stuff like that, where they're reluctant, they argue, but they find common ground and they, you know, catch the bad guys or sometimes kill the bad guys. <laughs> Who knows? But this is the vibe I kind of got. This could have worked moving forward they could have got this had some legs to it but it didn't work out that way you know so these sixers man what's the stand don't do this to me it's five and a half minutes left and it's down to 11 okay all right all right look look, don't panic yet man they cut it this they cut it down seven points look you gotta expect some type of comeback it's basketball they were up 23 you got to expect some type of comeback here, man. This is basketball, they especially were, playoff up, basketball. They were up 23 after they were up 18, so this is why it's annoying me. Oh, they got they increased and they the just, lead and they, they cut just, it in half. They just hit a three, so it's oh, an eight-point game now. All right, don't tell me anything more about this game, please. <laughs> <laughs> please. Yeah. All right. Oh, my moving God. Stoke on. Steve Austin's there. <laughs> oh, my God. Moving on Could from Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. Triple H comes down and pedigrees the Hawks. Well, I mean, we might need it at this point <laughs> if they're coming back like this. Uh, and they're going to hit another three. They're, they're just taking threes. Well, that one didn't hit, but they got the offensive rebound. Another three Jeez. attempts. They missed that one. But thank. Oh! <laughs> I'm just sitting here doing play by play while you're like. Right. Please, please stop doing the play by play. I'm just sitting here. Yeah, I'm like hanging on your every word now. I'm like, did we get the rebound? Huh? But, uh, did we get it? The, the, when Shawn Michaels and Stone Cold walking back, like, just the way Steve Austin's looking to his side, like, it was, I laughed. Like, literally back then, watching it live, and now, it's just the best thing. Like, literally, no no wasted opportunity to just make sure that we saw that story work like perfectly no wasted opportunity it was just absolutely awesome one of my favorite moments of the entire pay-per-view was just them walking to the back together (laughs) just right looking at each other (laughs) this was the main event the next match i mean it happened and it was technically (laughs) the main event but nobody talks about this (laughs) all right but what we will talk about though is todd pettengill Interviewing Farouk <laughs> before the match. Undertaker, don't worry about Paul Bearer's blackmail. You worry about this blackmail. <laughs> don't worry about that blackmail. Worry about this blackmail. <laughs> As he's referring to himself, a blackmail. So, because the story here is that Paul Bearer is blackmailing 
uh, The Undertaker because he has a big secret holding over mm. his head. And of course, this secret was eventually Kane. You know, he had a brother who survived the fire. It's Kane. It's gotta be Kane. It was Kane. <laughs> and that will happen a couple months from now. But actually, the same day that Brian Pillman died you know, of bad blood yeah. in, in 1997, unfortunately. Yeah. But that's what the secret was. Spoiler, eventually. But at this point, we don't know that. Wait, they didn't even make mention second, of... Wait a second. Wait a second. Ben Simmons what? just hit two free throws. What? Two in a row. That's, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's my boy. That was worth, that was worth cutting into. I appreciate that. <laughs> but <laughs> they didn't even make mention at this point that Kane was even a thing. It was just... A secret at right, this point. Right. So that's why Farouk said, Don't worry about that blackmail. Worry about this blackmail. <laughs> right? But of course, this leads to the WWF championship match Farouk versus The Undertaker. This was a match. <laughs> like, I yeah. really got not much to say about it. Yeah. Uh, Undertaker did a real crazy dive outside of the ring after he was great yeah. and ready to hit the. Uh, I guess we call it now old school. I don't, you know, I don't know what you would call it back then, but instead of you know doing like the arm smash over uh, Farouk's back, he jumps outside of the ring on top of every member of the Nation of Domination. But other than that, eh, it was a good match. It was a, it was a match. I'm gonna say it was a good match. It was just it was it was there. <laughs> I remember. I think this was before I like I knew Farouk was Ron Simmons. Like he looked familiar, but. To me, like I had those WCW Ron Simmons cards, so he had the mustache, and I was like, I don't know, is that the same guy? Because I couldn't tell, you know, without the mustache. <laughs> are, you, are you Randy Savage? And I was like, weren't <laughs> you Ron Simmons in World Championship Wrestling? You look from, didn't you play at Florida State? <laughs> Which Jim Ross made sure to mention like no less oh, than yeah. five times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were tied yeah. number at Florida State. Yeah, he's the best player in Florida State history. Him, Deion Sanders. Yeah, just uh, I, I so I was like I don't know is that Ron Simmons like I wasn't sure but at the same time like he wasn't a main eventer at this point either so I'm like uh, Undertaker and Farouk in the main event like I'm totally not interested at all <laughs> right but then they had you know the Ahmed thing at the end and that got me a little interested because I was still an Ahmed guy but yeah this whole like secret thing. I mean, looking back, it was really a good story to plant the seed for Kane. And it took, like, all summer, basically, because it really started right after he won the title. And then it, it kind of manifested because Paul Barrow was like, oh, he's the champion, so now I can hold this over him. So that whole thing, I think, was done well. But I was just kind of waiting for it to finally happen. And I was like, oh, this summer, like, we'll see Kane. Or not Kane, but the summer, we'll find out the secret. But it kept dragging right. on and It could have happened at SummerSlam. On and on. It could have, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, that would have been the place where it happened, but it didn't. They kept it going. Yeah. Like, that's when they kicked off the Shawn Michaels feud. And I, I, I was too young to really understand the scope of what Barrow was trying to say. Uh, you know, I only knew, I didn't know very many big words. I was just kind of like, wait, like I needed to watch those weekly programs on the weekend to kind of let them explain it because I was just kind of like, what, like. Wait, so he has a brother who died, but he's not dead. But I needed, you know, Top Hat Girl to explain that to me, you know? Like, so the whole thing was kind of like over my head a little bit at the time. 
and I was just waiting for it to finally have like the payoff and I wasn't used to waiting this long as a wrestling fan for like that payoff because it literally lasted from what April or May to October like that's a ridiculously long time right. uh, but I, I looking back obviously I think it was awesome an awesome story to try and get Undertaker another mankind foe to him because after that happened in 96, the Undertaker-Mankind, like, epic feud, like, they didn't really do anything with the Undertaker in 97 until Kane. Like, they gave him the title, but there was no feud, really. I mean, right. they yeah, did the Mankind faced, match again, but that they weren't, it wasn't right. the same. He did Mankind, he did Steve Austin, and he got it for Rook, and that's when, then they finally moved on eventually to Bret Hart, and then he lost the title, so. Yeah. But funny thing here, uh, you mentioned Ben Simmons hitting both free throws. My girl just texted me the same thing. Ben Simmons just hit both free throws. <laughs> but then he, missed, then he missed two. So. Oh, okay. Back to normal. I was hoping Take that. Take the good with the bad. I was hoping. Take the good with the bad. And then they hit a three. So I think it's a six-point game now or something. Oh, God. Yeah, oh, man. So. How much time? Uh, they're showing highlights now coming back from a commercial. So I got to. ESPN.com. Three minutes left. Yeah, six-point game. Oh, God. My life is so Lou stressful. Million. Lou Williams, 15 points with 13 this quarter. What the hell oh is Lou God. doing, man? <laughs> Jeez. If he Lou hits another dagger, he's going to hit another dagger in Philly, but for another team. Let's sit down somewhere, Lou Williams. <laughs> you got time for this. <laughs> sit down. All right. <laughs> Did you notice right, so- during this match <laughs> where Farouk hit the Undertaker with a power slam? But Undertaker kicked out. Like, Burr looks pissed on the outside. The camera catches him. And he looks pissed <laughs> off. And then he's like, get away from me to the cameraman. Like, are you mad because Undertaker got hit with a power slam? Or are you mad that he kicked out? Like, what? what's going on here? Like, I wasn't I wasn't fully following uh, Burr's thing because he was so annoying to me. Like, he, now I obviously know he's doing such a great job to make me hate him. But I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I hated him back then. Paul Bear is pretty funny after the match, too, because, you know, Undertaker wins. He gets a tombstone on Farouk. Farouk was distracted by the Nation of Domination arguing with each other. Uh, and that's allowed Undertaker to hit the tombstone and win the match. Uh, after the match, you know, Farouk is laid out on the ground. He's selling the tombstone. Paul Bear asks Undertaker, he tells Undertaker, hey, go and choke slam Farouk. And Undertaker doesn't want to do it at first. But he reluctantly does it because he's holding this secret secret again over Undertaker's head. So Undertaker reluctantly choke slams Farouk. Paul Bear asked him to do it, forced him to do it two more times. <laughs> right? Choke slammed him two more times. That's when Ahmed Johnson comes out, curses out the Undertaker. What you doing? Blah blah blah. Ah, he's yelling at him. And then he hits Undertaker with a pro river plunge. <laughs> and while Undertaker is lying on the ground. Paul Bear standing over Undertaker like get up. <laughs> he's kicking his he's arm. Like kicking him like he's like that that picture of the guy holding the stick like trying to right. lit with a Come rock. Come on, like, do something. Do something. Do something. <laughs> so that was kind of funny actually. But Undertaker does get up and like scares the hell out of Paul Bear and Paul Bear runs away and that's the end of the show. That is King of the Ring, nineteen ninety seven. Any final thoughts, sir? 
It's a really a two-point game now. Like, ridiculous. I, this is deja vu. This is a deja vu because a few weeks ago, oh it was like God. the same end of the game. We're recording. We just finished wrapping up the deep dive. And now we're watching this like play out. It's ridiculous. Oh my god! They're this not can't making, be happening again. They're not making any shots. Curry and Embiid have thirty six points in this half, and the rest of the team doesn't even have ten. It's ridiculous. Oh it's like only, Harris so it's just a missed two point game. Yeah, and now Atlanta has the ball. Like they're not making any shots. It's ridiculous, man. It's so mad at oh, and Trey just drew a foul. A three point oh my foul. God. So they could take the lead here. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I can't, I can't. This is bad, bro. Yeah, we gotta wrap this show up. Yeah, wrap it up, please. Uh, it was <laughs> the it final was thoughts. A, it was a good pay per view. That's all I got. <laughs> Man, take us out with some plugs, please. I'm a, I'm angry now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can follow me at Pacone underscore. Remember that Pacone underscore. Uh, follow us at Shooters Radio and. Our feed is uh, currently being transferred, so uh, I'm not sure if you can... Uh, well, by this point, you're listening to this, we're on the new feed, so we'll make sure that you get we get that out uh, ASAP to our listeners. Uh, I don't know if it'll be on the old feed, so if you subscribed, uh, try and subscribe again if you search the Straight Shooters. But uh, also check our at Shooters Radio on Twitter and uh, Straight Shooter or Facebook.com slash Shooters Radio for the new link. All right. Well, I'm at Vaughn M. Johnson on Twitter. You can check out my writing at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. <sighs> if you can't find me there, you can find me out here in these streets. The Hawks have the lead. I am sad. I am sad. But check us out. Again, we're on the Blue Wire Network. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, we will be on the Blue Wire Network. So check us out there. Check out all the other shows there um, as well. Because we're now part of the family. So check out our family member shows. And we appreciate all the support you've given us. Appreciate Chris Johnson again for being a patron. We appreciate your patronage. And if you want to be like Chris Johnson and have your show covered on the podcast and join the podcast for a brief little amount of time, patreon.com slash shooters radio. Pay the nominal fee of two bucks and you'll be on the show and we will fulfill your request. For Nick McCone, I am Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening to episode 288 of The Straight Shooters, and we'll catch y'all again next week. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah. Kick it.